tip today in association with Slatteries of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slatteriesgarage.ie Good morning. Welcome along to Tip Today. 1800-938-007. Our free phone number doesn't cost you anything to make a call. And Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up on this morning's show, AIB issue a letter of implications to Russian and Belarusian account holders. More from our listeners' uh, experiences on violence and open drug dealing on our streets in Tipperary. Um, If you're in a relationship with a feeder, you may be one yourself. It's a very interesting topic, and we'll be talking about that later as well. We're farming with Pat O'Toole from the Journal, Health with the CEO of Marito uh, 8020, that's Muriel Cuddy, and our interior designer, Karen Prendergast, will be with us as well. So it's a busy show, lots happening over the next uh, few hours. You can text and WhatsApp 083 311 You can email tip today at tipfm.com and of course as ever we're always uh, delighted to hear from you look at the headlines today the Irish Daily Mail cost of living one off boosts needed again an expert from a state body has said that further one off measures will be required to support those on low incomes uh, this coming winter to the Irish Examiner millions of litres of sewage in our waters daily Uh, Enough sewage to fill three Olympic-sized swimming pools uh, is pouring into Irish seas and rivers every day, 16 years after EU deadlines passed to meet treatment standards. And because we're all so conscious of our environment and stuff, you'd imagine... You would imagine that we'd be able to do something about that at this point, but uh, obviously not to the Irish Indo. Uh, Most of 86,000 yet to get COVID bonus are nursing home staff. Why am I not surprised at that? Some 46,000 staff uh, who worked on the front line of the COVID-19 crisis are still waiting for their €1,000 pandemic uh, recognition payment. Also on the front of the Indo today, two senior members of uh, the Irish Dancing Organisation on Commission, Lorinka Gaelica, uh, have resigned after the body was embroiled in a global scandal over alleged uh, cheating. To the Irish Times, and again that story about uh, wastewater, only half of Irish wastewater treated to EU standards. Also on the front of the Times today, Liz Truss's beleaguered government appeared at uh, risk of collapse yesterday as Suella Braverman uh, launched a stinging attack on the British Prime Minister after being forced to resign as Home Secretary. In fact, there were some extraordinary scenes in Westminster um, last evening. Uh, Ministers have also denied claims from Labour's uh, Chris Bryant that Conservative MPs were manhandled into voting with the government uh, last night. Now, that was on the Labour motion uh, to ban fracking. And speaking to the BBC last night, MP Charles Walker gave his damning statement. Have a listen uh, to this. This whole affair is inexcusable. It, it is just it is a pitiful reflection on the Conservative Parliamentary Party at every level. Um, and it reflects really badly, obviously, on the government of the day. Do you think there's any coming back from this? I don't think so. But I haven't. I, I have to say I've been of that view really since two, two weeks ago. Um, 
this is an absolute disgrace as a Tory MP of 17 years who's never been a minister, who's got on with it loyally most of the time. I think it's a shambles and a disgrace. I think it is utterly appalling. So, so you seem quietly... I'm, I'm, I'm livid. And, you know, I really shouldn't say this, but I hope all those people that put Liz Truss in number 10, I hope it was worth it. I hope it was worth it for the ministerial red box. I hope it was worth it to sit round the cabinet table because the damage they have done to our party is extraordinary. I'm sorry, it's very difficult to convey. You look just furious about this. I am. I am. I've had enough. I've had enough of talentless people um, putting their tick in the right box, not because it's in the national interest, but because it's in their own personal interest to achieve ministerial position. Talentless people putting their tick in the right box. Wow, well, that's uh, Conservative MP Charles Walker speaking about uh, his own uh, party uh, in Westminster last evening. You wonder where all of that is going to end. It sounds so chaotic. Now, if you want to comment on any of the headlines in the newspapers today, 083 AIB Bank has issued letters of implications uh, to Russian and Belarusian account holders regarding restrictive measures and sanctions against Russian and Belarusian nationals that have been adopted by the EU. Now, I'm delighted to be joined by a very frequent contributor to the show, Paul Lafford. Paul, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. Thanks a million for having me on. You're very welcome indeed. Paul, you and I have spoken quite a lot over the years. I don't think I've ever come across you as angry as you are about this. First of all, will you just remind listeners about your son so that we can put this in context, Paul? Well, of course, friend, yeah. Um, Keen, yeah, her child is Russian. He's Russian by birth. We adopted him from the city of Omsk in Siberia in 2007. Took three years to get him. Um, he's a good kid. He's in fifth year in school now above in Kaloshka in care today. Um, he wanted things. Look, he's 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 a good young fella. He's not sporty. He's more interested in magic. He wants to be Keith, the next Keith Barry. Wow. He has his own little circle of friends. In care, one of the good things about care, we have a very, very big um, Eastern European population. And indeed, we have Egyptian, we have Brazilian, we have everything in care. And he has his own circle of friends that um, he sticks with and all that. And we, we've, we as I said, he, look, he's Russian by birth. We've made him very, very proud of his background. We continuously do that. And we always talk about his birth mother, for instance, because... It's just something that we feel very, very strongly about. Does Obviously, he have dual citizenship, uh, Paul? Is he it? does. He, yes. Yeah, the first thing, the minute he came home to Ireland in 2007, he got an Irish passport. That was one of the first things mm-hmm. we did. Yes. And I'll always remember coming through immigration in Dublin Airport, and I remember the immigration officer saying to him, welcome to Ireland. That was one of the nicest things. We played yeah. above in the Radisson Hotel at Dublin Airport, and I'll remember even the lad uh, driving the minibus, the, the shuttle bus, he just couldn't have been better to Keen and to Caroline while I was waiting to get the bags below. And the following morning, the staff at the Radisson, like you've normally out at 12 o'clock, I think it was about 2 o'clock when we went and they brought up Grove and they left everything up to the hotel for us. They just couldn't have done enough for us. It was just a fantastic time in our lives when this little fella came, you know. But just talk, at was. the same time, Brandon, yeah. it wasn't easy. Um, before we talk about AIB, just can I talk to you just briefly about the last few months as well? I mean, Russia's yeah. invasion of... Ukraine, does he take that 
to heart in some way, yeah. Paul. Um, he did at the very start. Um, yeah. First, he did because um, I'd be honest with you, I was very gung ho with my opinions of all this. I have to be honest, I don't really go with the official line anymore, but that's just look, that's just yeah. me. Yeah. But uh, we go to Clonmel every Thursday, myself and himself, and we go to Supermax for our tea. And this evening, anyway, we were going into Clonmel and it was on the radio about what had happened just after the invasion. And we got to, we pulled into the car park at Woody's. I had to go into Woody's to get something. And out of the blue, friend, he just broke down crying. Now, like, I mean, this was real crying. This was, I was so upset. And he just said, like, you know, it was just the enormity of the whole lot. Russia was being pilloried from pillar to post. Yes. Russian citizens were nearly pariahs. And the whole lot just hit him. And I, I just felt so sorry for him. And we made a, a family decision there and then that we wouldn't mention this conflict. We wouldn't mention it in the house. If, if it comes on a news programme, we switch over. We just basically just shut up about it. We have our opinions on it, but basically it's just not mentioned in the house. So all the more reason then that out of the blue, this letter from AIB was particularly upsetting and frustrating and annoying for you. Will you, will you just bring us up to speed on it? Yeah, one of the first things when he came home, I remember my dad, God rest him, dad said, oh God, it's another credit union account because dad had a credit union account for all the grandchildren and he'd put his few about mam and himself to go to Clamell on a Saturday morning, put a few quid into all the accounts. And when he died in 2017, mam gave us credit union book and we went into the credit union here in Clamell and we took out the money and we put it into his bank account in care. And then I set up a standing order. In AIB, Paul. In AIB, AIB, yes. And I set up a standing order then from our account that we just keep going what Dad had been doing and we keep adding 50 quid a month Mm. into it. Mm. And it's just sitting there, Fran. It's a few pounds. It's his own couple of bob. Let him do what he wants with it and he might want to travel. I often blackguard him and say, if ever you're arrested, we can pay your bail out of it. (laughs) And we have have this old dark humour, I suppose, in the house. But... No, as I said, it was something that Dad did for all the grandchildren and Mam, and mm. uh, did for all the grandchildren. And I think I think grandparents do that as a rule anyway for children. And there's a few bob there, like and yes. we never really kind of paid much attention to it. To be honest, Brian, it's just a direct debit that we add to it every month. Mm. And then came home from work on Monday evening, and it was post, and we got our tax bill. You'll be delighted to know. And there was a letter from the IB for for Kean. And Caroline just handed it to him. Caroline's my wife. She handed it to him. She said, Keeney, she said, there's, there's post for you. And it's normally as a bank statement, just mm. what mm. you found it. But it, it was the first time in my life, Ran, when, um, and I, I don't want people to think I'm being like Karen, okay, because there is, this has such an implication for us as a family. Mm. Um, the, the letter, if we had known what was in the letter, we wouldn't have given it to him. We would have kept it away from him. Yes. But as you, I, I sent a copy of the letter. Did, it's in front of me here. There, yeah. And as I said, like I let you make what you make of it because it was important. I wanted more people to read into it and see, like, I don't want to be coming across as over a complainer. I'm not a complainer. I'm a lot of but I'm not a complainer. But this thing where he basically, this, his account could be frozen because of his Russian heritage. And Fran, it was just like, it was like a nice through the heart of the family. For the first time in, what, 11 years, he's 17, no, he was a year and a half, he's nearly 17, he's 16 and a half, he, mm. he's 17 in March. He was a year and a half when he came. He's been through the 
was a play school in Care. He was in the National School in Care with Brendan Horan. And he's now in Colostra with um, Peter Creedon and Darius are doing and just fantastic people who have just never once was his heritage mentioned by anybody on the list. And it was just as a family who've been trying so hard to protect him from all the negativity that's going on, this thing just was a hammer blow to us as a family. And I could see how this could be read as being threatening in some way, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It was just like, I mean, there's not, I don't know how much is in the account, Fran, like there, there could be maybe, there could be 3,000 euros there, I don't know. Yeah, it's not a yeah. huge amount of money by any matter of means, but like I'm sure people have come along and say, but Jesus, you know, it's a fair amount of money. Yeah. But look, it was money that was put there by his grandparents, mm. you know, and we just kept it going in memory of that. So... It really, it just, we were so mm. hurt. I went over to Aldi in care on, on a Monday evening and I think the girl in the checkout must have said, Jesus, there's something wrong with him because I had tears in my eyes, friend, at the, just, at the heartlessness of this, at the coldness mm. of this because these people, I, I mean, look, we all have our opinions on what's going on at the moment. As I said, I have mine it's for a different time mm. but my worry is, friend, let's just say in years to come, right, he decides he wants to go to college or he wants to start a job mm. or the house, for instance, our house at home, we've our wills made, the house is left to him. Mm. And let's just suppose after we're dead and gone, he might decide he wants to sell that house. He might want to live in it. I don't care. It'll be his. Mm. We don't care. We won't be around. Could they use this against him then? Is this the start of a slippery slope? And I was just, we were just so hurt and we just looked at him and we think of as a family, what we've been through in the last 15 to 16 years, we're we're a typical normal family friend. We've our good times and bad times. We've our arguments and we have our, we laugh and we cry together. That's the way it is. And we've always told him that no matter what happens in his life, the minute you come inside our doors, you can talk about it. And whatever it is, as a family, we sit down. There might be bad language, there might be given out, but we will sort things out as a family. Mm. And we encourage him to come in, no matter what's on his mind. Mm. And thank God, there's not series coming in, but we're always prepared for it. But we were never prepared for this, Fran. And, and is it that because the cap of it, I think the cap is around 100 grand or something like that, so that doesn't affect him. Is, is it the point that he's being singled out in some way? Is, is, it, is that it, what it is? Fran, like, I mean, this isn't happening... Look... I'm dismayed at the moment, right, in this country, and I know I, I don't want to be going too far off, off topic. I'm dismayed in this, at the moment in this country with the the line our government has taken, for example. Like, we, you and I both grew up in a time when nightly news programmes in this country, it was war, mayhem, murder, horrible stuff happening in this country. Thank God, thanks to a peace agreement, that doesn't happen anymore. Mm. And thank God for that. And we voted overwhelmingly to, in favour of that peace agreement in mm. 1998. Yes. But now we seem to have a government in this country, in a neutral country, who seem hell-bent on rushing straight into uh, another war and supporting another war that has the, the ability to wipe every single one of us and, and our children off the face of the earth. Mm. And I am not pro-Russia, anything but, but I am pro-peace. 
Yes. And I, and I seen, would agree with you. And like a lot of things lately, there's a single narrative on this as well. Totally. That seems to be the accepted narrative. And any discussion on it is correct. shot down as being pro-Russian or pro, pro-invasion or pro, you know, so it's... Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Like, I'll give you an example, friend. Like, for instance, are the same sanctions placed on Israel, which is guilty of illegal land grabs, mm. which is illegal, um, who has, we said, found guilty of breaking UN resolutions mm. or guilty of war crimes. On the Palestinians, yeah. Mm. And it's the same thing, for instance, on the UK and the United States, for mm. an, which was, again, an illegal invasion of Iraq. Well, no, no was the answer. Exactly. No, no. And this is the trouble. And here is a young child in care who never asked to come to Ireland. Mm. He never, he had, his, his future was decided in a courtroom in Omsk in September 2007. He had no say. He didn't even know he was coming to Ireland. And since then, we have told him from the from the get-go mm. that he was adopted. And every single year, for instance, on his birthday, on the 16th of March, we remember his mother. We will never forget her. And if there was one dream we could have as a family, would be to meet her. We know it will never happen. It's impossible. But we would love to meet her. But we protect him, Fran. He's the centre of our lives. Every single decision we make is revolves around him. And that's why this was such a dagger the other evening. I've never been so upset in my life. And and to play devil's advocate on it for a moment, if I can, Paul, it, um, I mean, really what they're doing is they're adopting a policy from the European Union that this isn't off their own bat. Does that mean anything to you? No, it doesn't. I'm afraid it doesn't because... It is a European resolution. Oh, why do we rush in to agree to everything? As I said, like these letters aren't being furnished to people from with Israeli origin, mm. or as I said, or God knows. I mean, there's been plenty more crimes against humanity. Yes. In a couple of years ago, for instance, and not so long ago, in this country, if that be the case, Irish people, for instance, based if they went to the UK. They faced the same thing. People who had no hand act or part. Yes, of course there is there is precedent for this as well, Paul. When you think of what happened to, to the Japanese in America during the Second World War, and indeed the Germans in the in UK, the, the I mean the Japanese who were living in America and the Germans who were living in the UK, that they were often incarcerated, indeed as, as well. So there is precedent for this. Does, does, does that worry? I mean, when you look back on how um, people like this can be treated. Yes, but again, a lot as as parents of of Keen, of a Russian ch- child by birth. Now, as I said, he has an Irish passport, but this was the first time ever this was fired at us, right? And it was by a, a financial institution. Now, it's ironic in a way because my dad had his own opinion of the of the banks, and it wasn't complimentary. I think his entire generation had it. And believe you me, if I said what, I, what he said this morning, <laughs> you could be in trouble. Believe me. Yes, I can imagine. But I can imagine. His opinion, yes. but it was, it was just a dagger at us the other day. And I, 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 sent, yes. I sent it to a copy of the letter to, to Matty, and I wanted to say a huge thanks to Matty, because, Matty McGrath, mm. because Matty raised it yesterday in the doll. Did he? Oh, yeah. Okay, fair and enough. Because there's a European Council meeting today and tomorrow, and there was a pre-Council um, meeting um, yesterday in the Dáil. And I mm-hmm. really am indebted to Matty 
for raising this issue yesterday because it's, it can be the start of a very, very, very slippery slope. A slippery slope. And w- there's one sentence in it that it, it just goes to show you the powers that the bank has on this, that um, they're, they're threatening that if they don't get your documentation by a certain date and if the account balance is ever more than 100,000, an immediate block will be placed on your account. That's right, John. That's, that's, right. that's, that's, that's... Like, I mean, let's just That's say, giving God great forbid, powers to a financial institution. Totally, totally. Like, let's just say, God forbid, anything happened to us and Caroline and myself were gone tomorrow. That house is left to him. So let's just say, I don't know what... Our house is worth, you say, it's not something we should bother mm, about. Yeah. But let's just say our house is worth more than 100000 I'm yeah. sure it is. And he sold it. He made a decision that that's what he wanted to do. And he had that money. Can they just freeze that money then? Just for something he had no hand acting or part in this conflict. A country he never asked to come to. And he is totally guilty Obvious. Now, I have to say one thing, Fran, before I forget that I did get a phone call from AIB yesterday because I emailed them and I sent you a copy of yes. the email yeah. as well. And I got a, a phone call from AIB yesterday evening. And I have to say now, Don, the man that phoned me, was exceptionally good. I have to give him credit. He apologised profoundly. He said that they had looked back through the letter and that the letter was worded totally wrong. Mm. And he did explain to me that what they're trying to do is to put safeguards in place for people that if, for instance, in the future, that Lysa Keen had over 100,000 in their bank account. And again, let's just say he sold out. Mm. What they're trying to do is that they have safeguards in place now that that freezing of that account could never happen in however many years' time. Right, right. But he did say that their wording was totally and utterly wrong and that they obviously never meant to cause upset but that obviously that letter would be edited or whatever it would be or indeed just to explain it more. Well they certainly need to, to do that. In in your correspondence with them Paul you said that you would pull um, your finances from AIB. Oh, yeah. Are you yeah. still of that opinion? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I First thing I did, I came in here to work yesterday morning. I, I, I went out to Daniel, our manager, and I said, Dan, I said, uh, can I take a half day? And got Keen was on a half day from school yesterday. And I went over to care, brought him down to the bank to close that account. We'll take the few quid out of it, put it into because I know he has a post office account. That's another grandparent that he's grandparents on, on Caroline's side, open for him. And we'll put it, put it in there. I put it under the mattress and before I'd leave it. With um, with AIB after what happened, because it was just it was just a hurt mm. on a family who have worked so hard to keep this bloody conflict outside, and all of a sudden they came in with just with this attitude: do what we say or else. And my biggest worry is that it's the start of a slippery slope. Like, for instance, since. As you know, uh, Keane is huge into Eurovision. Mm. That's his thing. Yeah. They've been to Eurovision. The hotels are booked next year for Liverpool, for instance. But the two of them, himself and Caroline, are going to a concert in Amsterdam in four weeks' time. Whereas Sam Ryder, the lad that's represented the UK, he's singing there and they're going to hear him. He has his Irish passport. He will walk through Dublin or Cork Airport, whatever it is. There's never one issue. He goes to another country goes to these things, does all these things. He's above in school, 
Never once has anything like this been mentioned. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, the other day. And my worry is that it's the start of a very, very slippery slope. Paul, it's good to talk to you, and we wish Kian and Caroline the very best. And th- thanks for highlighting that for us, And Paul. thank you so really, much, really Fran. And by the way, Fran, before I go, I just want to say well done to Emma and yourself on your award. Oh, That's you're very delighted good. by you. Thanks, Paul. Thank so, you very much indeed. That's uh, very generous of you. Thank you, and good morning to you. That's uh, Paul Lafford speaking to us uh, today. 1800 007. Austin was on to us from the UK, and he said, uh, Paul is totally ignoring the suffering of the Ukrainian people. He is not. He is not. In fact, he brought that up and he he's not. He has issues with, I suppose, how this is viewed and maybe a situation where a war is prolonged and maybe this country and other countries as well might be better employed going and trying to broker peace in some way and stop people being killed. I mean, that's the point uh, that he was making in fairness. 1800-938-007. Back in just a moment. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. The Galti Sessions with Therese McInerney. Back Saturday, 8pm. Saving over €65 on your weekly shop is as easy as 123 at Dolan Super Value Care. 1. Unbeatable own brand prices. 2. Over 2,000 special offers on branded goods. 3. Real rewards, money off vouchers in app every week. This week, save 33% on Super Value Fresh Irish Round Roast Beef, Legs of Lamb, Pork Loin Roast and Fresh Cod Fillets. Dolan's have a large range of Halloween goodies like pumpkins only €2.50, peanuts, treats and lots more. Dolan's Super Value Care. Believe in value. They're on to the Cadbury FC website. Ready to play Winner Worldie. Who will they choose? They see Virgil van Dijk, Neymar Jr. To Steph Horton. To Harry Kane. Finger moves towards their phone. Glances up. This could be it. Yes! They're on their way to win a hangout with Virgil van Dijk. With thousands of prizes to be won, see worldy.cabryfc.com for more details. T's and C's apply. Autumn savers this week only at Walsh's Butcher's Cashel. Get 33% off roast beef, roast lamb or pork. A great opportunity to invite the family around for a delicious Sunday roast with 33% off. For quality and value, call to Watches Butchers Main Street Cashel today. It is what it is. Good quality food. Love swimming? Love it with a level head. Learn about weather, tides and rip currents. Be visible with a brightly coloured hat and tow float. Swim parallel to shore and never alone. Afterwards, get warm quickly. This is Water Safety Ireland. Better safe than sorry. For open water swimming advice, visit watersafety.ie. Supported by the Government of Ireland. Maybon, a very special celebration with some of Ireland's greatest musicians this Saturday 22nd of October in Tiptown with Gemma Hayes in her first Tipperary show in five years. Ride with me, boy, on my pillow, me 
Singer-songwriter Jack O'Rourke, spoken word by Feli Speaks, plus Bog Bodies and Kyoto Love Hotel. Maybon, this Saturday at the Excel Centre, Tipperary Town. Doors open at 7pm. Tickets €10 Euro from tipperaryxcel.ie. Hi, Pat Short here. And Face Short over here. I can see that. They don't know. Okay, okay. We're here to tell you about our new show. Which is going to be in Brew Brew Cashel Friday, November 4th. Tickets 30 euro available now at brewbrew.ie. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie. Now, made reference uh, to the fact that only half of Irish wastewater uh, in this country is treated uh, to EU standards. And uh, Des was on to say, well, farmers, they'll be blamed for untreated wastewater entering our rivers, says Des. Uh, 0833113311. Now, Tip Today has received several calls and messages from... Um, something to be done, indeed, uh, for anti-social behaviour, violence and uh, open drug dealing on the streets of uh, Clanmel. Now, I know it's not just Clanmel that this is happening in in all uh, the towns of the county, but videos and photographs have been circulated on social media in recent times of violence and intimidation in the town of Clanmel, and particularly uh, in areas of O'Connell Street. Now, some of our listeners told us yesterday that they're they're afraid to speak out on the issue or indeed afraid um, to report matters to the Gardaí. Paulina joins me now. Paulina, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Lovely to talk to you today, Paulina. You're making the point that O'Connell Street in Dublin is a great example of it all going wrong too in, in our capital city. Absolutely. And it has been happening for the last 15 years from my experience. It's not a recent case. Now, you lived there for, I think about, is it five or six years, Paulina? I did. I went to college in Dublin and then I stayed there for two more years, you know, for my professional experience. And I must say, I did not enjoy it. And t- tell me about your experience of it. So, when it comes to Connell Street, we quickly realised that it was a dangerous spot for us to hang out at night alone, get a Lewis from the area, walk around the Liffey. It was just really an easy experience and I never really felt safe uh, being there and certainly anxious. And I had incidents uh, on the Lewis line as well as walking through the city where people were just causing troubles and there was no guards or no security to help. Is that at the core of all of this, uh, policing? I think so, Fran, because I was just watching uh, a show yesterday on, on RTE when they talked about the very same problem, comparing different cities like London, Paris, Warsaw, Barcelona... And people were saying that they felt safe Mm. or safer walking through those cities than in Dublin because I have a feeling that in Dublin and in Ireland, antisocial behaviour is not taken as seriously as it is in other capital cities in Europe, for example. And and tell me about your experience of that and when you say it's not taken as seriously. what, What exactly do you mean? Sure. So, I mean, it's a crime and there should be enough policing. There should be a quick reaction. Many times, you know, when I've actually experienced antisocial behaviour on Lewis, there was nothing happening. You know, the people just left and that was that. And, and, and they probably left feeling that they can do this over and over and over again. And um, I don't think there would be uh, much prosecution happening 
or just guards reacting quickly and um, decisively, you know, to make us feel safe. Of course, we don't have a transport police either. Um, That's uh, Mm. very evident indeed in some countries. Absolutely. You know, in some countries, actually cursing and and shouting curses um, in the public is a crime and you can actually get a fine for that. So <laughs> compare that to Dublin when you can get hit. Like I remember I was on the Lewis and someone actually threw a bottle at another passenger sitting behind me and the Lewis just kept going. So no guys involved. It's, it's almost as if it's acceptable in some way that this is going to happen. Is that is that it? That's it. That's it. And I think, you know, people are just so afraid to do something as well because seriously, you never know if you're going to get attacked or what's going to happen to you. You were also talking about the area, the area there by the river in Dublin. It's a kind of a boardwalk, isn't it? And it's notorious yeah. for for drug dealing and drug taking and all of that. And what, what's your experience of that? Yeah, so you would see very syringes lying around in that area, but just like even having a lovely walk at night, there would be groups of people just causing troubles, drinking. Um, I remember throughout my experience of six years, I saw guys uh, on that uh, walk once. Once, and they were actually talking to students. But I've seen that that bad behaviour over and over and over again. And it's such a pity because it's a nice tourist area and you can't just have a walk. You you might have a really bad day. Yeah, I remember when that was built first. I thought it was such a beautiful idea. And, you know, it was comparable to what was happening in, in other capital cities as well. But it seems to have turned into this area now, particularly at night time, that is just notorious. Yeah, and, you know, Fran, I was actually reading some research that crime and antisocial behaviour has risen after COVID. So it's not just Dublin, to be fair. Yes. However, yeah. Dublin has been known notoriously not to do anything with it. And you know what I was thinking to myself? When we have competitions such as tidy towns, we should put more emphasis and have competitions such as safe towns because that's the core of good living. Oh, what a very good idea. What a very good idea is combine that into tidy towns in some way, I guess. Um, Tell me about, you were telling Emma as well, you, you saw blood on the footpath. Yeah. Yeah, near, um, you know the Lewis stop near the corner? I think I, that's Abbey Street. I know it well, yes. Yeah, so over there, yeah, and I actually saw people fighting and blood and, yeah, not, <laughs> it was not a nice experience. And there will always be people walking around asking you, you for money over there. And obviously homelessness, it's also another problem on O'Connor Street. Um, you know, not that this is anybody's fault, but the government should deal with that as well. Take it back to Tipperary then, because I know you live in Cashel, yeah. but when yeah. when you hear stories like we were talking about O'Connell Street yesterday, and God knows Cashel have had issues over the years as well. I remember my friend yeah. Kieran Fitzgerald telling me about being attacked uh, on the yeah. main street in Cashel. Um, do you see it sort of seeping in to, to our, our towns now as well? Absolutely, because you see, if there is this sort of social... Um, like people feel this is okay or if uh, the antisocial behaviour is not treated seriously, it can easily spread to other towns and other communities because if they're, not, if they're not doing anything in Dublin, what would they do in a small town like that? You know? uh, and sometimes for crime it's actually easier to just sort of manipulate people or hide in a smaller town. Now that being said I always felt very safe and casual. I've heard stories about Carmel um, I've never seen anything, but then again, I don't really go out there at night, so I wouldn't know. 
Boden Castle, I feel I feel safe. Yeah, so you, far. You mentioned uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, in fact, when you were talking to Emma as well. And in yeah. the top five human needs, the necessity of being human, safety is well up there, isn't it? Absolutely. It's it's the food, um, first shelter and safety. So before you can actually, um, you know, think about the pleasures of life or self-actualization and enjoying, you know, the new roads or the new facilities in towns, the most important is to feel safe. And that is really closely linked with a quality of life. It's not just the money. We talk yes. about inflation a lot. We talk about electricity crisis and food prices. But like I would, I would be so happy earning very, very little, but actually feeling safe in my own community. And I if, I, if I remember my studies uh, properly, Paulina, um, on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I mean, safety, that's inclusive of protection from violence and, and stealing and, and also emotional yeah. well-being as well as in there too, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And that emotional well-being, you know, certain people, I'm not saying that uh, men are not affected. Obviously, you know, we, a woman walking alone um, is more vulnerable in most cases children, and of course men as well. But there will be a certain groups that will be even more affected, is what I mean, by, by the whole and safety situation. Paulina, it's always good to talk to you, and thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you. And you too, Fran. Good Stay morning, safe. Paulina. Bye-bye. That's Paulina uh, living in lovely Cashel at uh, the moment. Let's go to Mick now. Mick, good morning to you. Hey, good morning, Fran. How are you? Uh, good to talk to you, Mick. You've been hearing the discussion about uh, Clonmel. Um, what are your thoughts at this point, Mick? Well, obviously, there's a problem with the O'Connor Street uh, general area there at Berry Street Car Park. And uh, I've been approached on a few occasions there for money and whatever. There's no doubt you feel threatened, like, you know. And, I mean, in your experience of the town, Mick, how how recent is this or has this sort of grown in recent times? Well, I suppose there's always a drunk problem with most towns, like, it does go back years, like, but. It's not so, it doesn't put so pronounced, you know, out on the street, like if you want to put it like that, you know. And is it obvious to you that this is going on? <coughs> uh, yeah, as, uh, by such a way, we go from our side of the town up to Irish town on the, on the Tuesday night for a few points, you know. Yes. And uh, we usually go through the car park, the Mary Street, from, we'll say, from uh, Gladstone Street across there to go to Irish town. And I think we're going to have to give it up because uh, my mate had gone before me the other night and I was late coming along and I went through the car park on my own. This is on Tuesday night. Yeah. And I was, I was passing up at the back of Easton's, between Easton's and St. Peter from Poland. And there was a fella actually urinating in the church grounds. And he, he must have thought I was one of his mates going along and he jumped out. He should be fighting the life out of me. Without saying though, he did say, I'm sorry. But he looked to me like a kind of, you know, down and out. Now, I can't say if he was a drug addict, but he was certainly, he looked down and out, if you want to, if that's the expression to use, you know? Right. But you, but he tried, he tried it, to live a life out of Yeah, it was intimidating. Well, of course it is. I mean, I'm only 72 years of age, like. Yeah. I mean, there was a trial, like, and I wouldn't be afraid to take on a fellow maybe 20 years ago. But if a fellow had a go at me, you know, so he kicked the living day, like, you know? And you know, you have to be honest about it. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure anymore if it's the walk thing to say. But I mean, if that was a woman as well, can you imagine how frightened? Oh, she'd just probably collapse. You know. 
Yeah. What what can be done about it, Mick? I mean, is it too simple to say, you know, we need more guards on the beach in the area? What? Well, uh, there's no doubt about that. But at the same time, you see, these people know the local guards as well. You know what I mean? Sure, we all know the local guards, don't we? I do. Uh, well, I, I don't personally, but I don't see them. So what do, you, what do you mean by that, Mick, then? Well, sure, I mean, if you have a drug problem... And the local guards can't solve it. You're going to have to be paid uh, those officers or the cover officers or something like that, you know? And that's what's what's now. So we had a, a message from a listener who doesn't want to be named, but seemingly that laneway, and I think you might have been referencing it there, from yeah. O'Connell Street to Mary Street Car Park, it's turning into a no-go area, says this person. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, and, and likewise from the other side, from, uh, we say, say, Peter Paul's Church to the car park, or to Mary Street. That is as well. Yeah, and the other place is Hopkins Lane, as Preserve is known as. That's between Mary Street Car Park and O'Connell Street. Yeah, this this listener goes on to say, uh, I have my grandmother warned not to walk the town alone anymore. I work in the car park unloading goods uh, at night. Uh, in Mary Street, it's constant drug dealing and fighting and shouting and even yeah. public sex on one night. Uh, it seems to be the same people every night and it goes on to describe these people as well. Yeah, well, uh, I, I certainly will have to give up uh, go, to go to it. Now, I know my days is a lot harder than what I am, but... Uh, even at that, like, I think we'll have to go, go to the car park, like, you know. But, but do you feel annoyed about This is your town, Mick. Do you feel annoyed about it? Of course it? I feel annoyed about it. Like, I mean, I belong to be born and reared in the town. I was born in the town. So, I mean, I, I don't know who these people are, but, you know, I, you know, I feel sorry for anybody, let's be honest, that, that has a drug addiction. I mean, well, you know, we could avoid that that way, only for the grace of God or whatever. But uh, at the same time, they can't be left to intimidate people, you know. Well, that's the thing. I mean, a drug addiction shouldn't necessarily mean that you're intimidating people and that you're frightening people and that you're... And, you know, it's... Uh... And, uh, you know, I mean, let's be honest about it. A lot of people know who the drug dealers are, but I, I don't know why, why they can't be identified. I, I see very little in the national, the local paper, uh, as a girl, as people being brought to court. Do you? It's very seldom. I don't, know. Yeah, I've seen uh, a few instances where a fellow got caught with 20 yours worth of cannabis for his own use. But sure, that's only a drop of yes. the ocean. Well, no, in fairness, in recent times, there have been a lot of major drug busts in, in places and in areas, you know, but as regards picking people up off the streets, I just don't know, I, you know. And is yeah, that because, because he, they, they'd end up back out in the street again a few hours yeah, you never see the you never see the top guys with the drugs being, uh, being hauled in, like. Because no. always the middle guys that are yeah. dealing and supplied. You never see the real... And let me tell you, I'd say there's a lot of two that we think of pillars of the community um, could be involved in the two, you know what I mean? Do you really believe that, Mick? I do, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a, te- there's a temptation there from from everybody to get involved where there's, big, where there's potentially big money, you know? All right, Mick, it's good to talk to you. You be safe yeah. and be careful anyway. Thanks, Mick. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Mike. Thank you and bye-bye to you now. It's Mick in uh, Clonmel, 1800-938-007. Fran, it's about 15 to 20 people in this ca- uh, town that are causing problems in Clonmel. The rest of us are good, decent people and it's not hard to sort out, says one of our listeners. Well, I would go along with that too. Clonmel is a smashing town. Uh, a lot going for it. This is a very small number of people who obviously are making it difficult for people like Mick to get around the town, to have the freedom to go back and forth, you know. Anyway, we'll take a break. Back in a moment. 
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Patrick says policing is at the core of this uh, criminal activity. Uh, Fear is instilled in people. It's time people take back control from the drug dealers. Or did Veronica Guerin die in vain, says Patrick on 083-311-3311. Peter joins me now. Peter, good morning to you. Uh, good morning, friend. Darren. Just uh, contact the show there the other morning in relation to a stretch of road where you know well yourself you travel it every day from Dundrum up to Dundrum House Hotel. It's there's a probably more than half the stretch of road has no footpath or no grass margin, and of late Dundrum House Hotel has um, Ukrainian residents staying there, and I'm not sure the amount of people, but I think there's in the region of 50 plus people. Mm. And any of these people have no cares. And because they have no cares, they're walking up and down to the village a lot. Now, a lot of people got on local Facebook the other night, some of my neighbours and friends, and they highlighted the issue on Facebook. But as I said, no good just to highlight on Facebook. That it needs to be highlighted to the council, county council, local government reps and stuff. Because even before ever the Ukraine came, people came to Zondrum, there was a need for a footpath in the area. Before, when um, local golf, when golf societies and stuff came to stay mm. in the hotel... You just walk up and down to the village, maybe down to shop or down to Bertie's for a drink or whatever. Mm. And even that time, it was a health and safety issue. But now it's more of a health and safety issue now with the volume of the Ukrainians that are walking up and down. Earlier on this morning, there was four women and a little child, and they were walking on their, on their own, right? And they were, they were walking on the proper side of the road. But when there's a car going each way, there's very little room for there to keep, for to go either way. And then when they get nearer to Dundrum, on the side of the road where the private houses, when they get to the actual bin there, they have nowhere to go at all, Todd. I saw one woman the other night, she said on Facebook that she came round the bin and the people just had to jump into the ditch. I can imagine, yeah. I've seen it uh, so often myself, Peter, and I was delighted you brought this up because I, I think it's very dangerous what's happening. And as well as that, I mean, there, there's not many high-vis uh, vests been worn either. No, I, I think I think since since the highlight the night, uh, someone are starting to wear them. But my point... I said to him, Emma, the other day was, it's not just a nighttime issue. It's they're da- it's dangerous, yeah. dangerous even in the daytime because yeah. there's a few spots in the road where there's nowhere really for them to go if you meet them at the wrong pair, the wrong spot of the road. And the road is so busy with trucks and stuff because the last trucks delivered to Dundrum, to the wire steel, to the shop, to Sintra, everything. Yeah. Anyway, it's, yeah. it's a busy route from Dundrum up along up and down that way, and it's like really. The foot, when the footpath went to Farris to private houses years ago, it badly needed to be continued. But it's gone to the stage now where it's with the, with the volume of people just walking up and down, it's actually a health and safety issue now. And another thing, maybe even the likes of signs to be erected by the council saying a lot of walkers on walk- the road. Oh, there's a, very good, there's a very good idea, and that wouldn't cost all that much to do. Because, like, if you're a stranger, like, we're... Probably us locals know mm. we're, go- we're going to be maybe slowing down and expecting mm. them. But if you're totally strange and you drive up the road, you're not going to have a clue that there's going to be five people on one side of the road, maybe another five on the other Absolutely. side. Absolutely. And as you say, you're right about daytime too because the trees are very high there, Peter, and they do darken that area of the road as well. I, 
I was actually coming from Nundrum yesterday and I came along by the private houses on the left as if you drive up. Yes. And there was people on the footpath. And just as I rounded the bend, next thing I looked on my left and there was a man stuck in the ditch. And if he had stepped out, he'd probably be dead. Oh, my God. But he, he had nowhere to go. So he was he was basically standing inside in the under the, under the trees and he was pure black. You know, the, the funny thing about the people on the footpath had high vests, yes. high vis vests. But he was stuck in the ditch and he'd be... If he wobbled out, he'd be fully be dead. Now, in fairness, when we read out your text yesterday, Deputy Martin Brown was on to us. Yeah, because I, I yeah. actually had texted him the night before. Yeah, and he said that, you know, they've been looking for a footpath there for quite some time. And I know Councillor Roger Kennedy was on to us as well to say uh, the very same thing. But there, there doesn't seem to be a move on extending that footpath. Well, I think before this problem of people came to the area, it might have been some way acceptable or some way... Uh, I don't know how you call the right word for it. Mm. but now with the volume of people just walking up and down like some days there it's like a sponsored walk yeah a because, lot of people yeah yeah because these yeah. people they're at the moment predominantly not in jobs yet and they have no cares even if they got a job so someone doing they're probably if anything probably even walking up and down to pass some of the time and then the, some of them walk down then someone else will walk back and there's different people up and down at all different times of the day and stages. Absolutely. Of the day. Well, I pass there uh, often about quarter to seven in the mornings, Peter, and I see people walking even at that uh, even at that time. You know. Yeah, but I don't know, like, because the worst stretch really is from directory to Dundrum House, because yeah. from that point of road, the there's no grass margin, and yeah. if you meet someone at the wrong point, if there's a car coming towards you. Gave nowhere to go, and you hardly know where to avoid them. All right, and you know the amazing thing is that we have a duty to look after these people, well, and you know this well, is that, part of it. That's another point of view. They say the local government reps or whoever who decided on their placement in Dundrum House, mm. they have a responsibility yeah. for their health and safety, as in their, how they get up and down to shops, things like that. They have a responsibility from that regard. Absolutely, but, and and to supply them with high vis stuff yeah. as well. You know, well, now, I know Martin Brown wanted to do that yesterday. He was just wondering about numbers. He he was willing to sponsor some of that yesterday. Well, they, so they, they can be getting, they, they can be got for free by the RSA. There's right. not an issue with him. Do you mean? But as I was saying to a few different people, my my point is the high vis is not the main issue because my point is it's a health and safety issue by day or by evening. Right, but still it would help. Oh yeah, yeah, it would I mean, help. It yeah, would help. The, yeah. As in the high vis, the local guards can just go out, go, out, go out and drop off them. The guards get them for free off the RSA. Hmm. Okay. I mean, so from that point of view, but really, I think even if the Ukraine people were going home tomorrow, which they're not going to be, they're going to be here for a permanent fixture for years to come. But the dirt road in general is in bad need, dire need of a footpath before ever they came to the area, but it's even a higher priority now. That was it's my a, for, for sure. But you're saying to me, put up signs, which is something that could be done very quickly. Yeah, yeah well, even signage for strangers, because yeah. strangers won't know. Yeah, well, we we all know that people walk yeah. there, but but as you say, strangers to the area wouldn't. Well, even at the moment, like, you you really want to be kind of watching your speed just in case if you miss them in the wrong spot. I know, I know fair enough, it's not a road where you're supposed to speed anyway, but you just want him to go even slower. Because if you meet someone there at the wrong spot at the wrong time and something coming towards you, do you mean you'd hate... Ah, but Peter, they do speed on that road because yeah, oh yeah. because it's a straight, you see, yeah. going into the bend. They yeah, that's do. What I'm yeah, that's what I'm saying. People probably do go quicker than they're supposed to. Yeah, yeah. And as one man said the other night on Facebook, I know it's probably a wrong thing to say. He said, be terrible 
if they survived their life in Ukraine and came over here and got oh knocked down in a car. Oh, my God. Uh, Mick was on to us and said that uh, you're completely correct. He said, I've had some close shaves uh, daily in the Dundrum area, even in daylight. It's an accident waiting to happen. Uh, some of these are not even streetwise uh, to that area. And that's the other thing. They're not used to that. The, the, I, I, see, I saw there later, now I don't begrudge Hollyford in the morning Dundrum. Hollyford, in fairness, this year, they have a fine stretch of footpath and lighting going from the outskirts of the village right up to the village. So it is... So it, it, is can be, it can be done, is what you're saying, well, like, Peter, is that like, it? Well, if you were to talk about the amount of money it's costing to facilitate to uh, home Ukrainian people here in Ireland, uh, a three-quarters of a mile switch of footpath would be pittance in comparison. Right, uh, to keep them safe. And, and to yeah. keep locals safe there yeah. as well, of course. Well, everybody's safety in the long run is not yeah. just... It's not just Ukraine people, it's for, it's for everyone's. And even in general, people from the golf course just walk up and down to the village and even before the, this, these people came to our area, there was often a health and safety issue for anyone. It's, mm. it's not just... OK, well, well said, Peter, and I'm delighted you brought this up. And thanks very much for coming on with me today, That's Peter. Right, thank, thank you, well thank you. Ah, thank you, and uh, bye-bye to you now. That's uh, Peter. Um, 1800-938-007. News and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage Puck On on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat, and uh, welcome back to Tip Today. A listener was on to say, Hi, Fran, uh, these people giving out about social issues, calling people down and outs, I think, is very unfair. There are huge social issues in our towns all over Ireland. While people are texting in saying drug dealing is going on, the question is who's buying? The drugs, they're not all down and outs. They're middle class and higher class uh, that are contributing to the issues. But instead of accepting their sons and daughters and grandchildren are taking drugs, they're happy to blame everybody else. Thank you, Franz, as one of our listeners. 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is 083-311-3311. We're still getting lots in on drug dealing and antisocial behaviour and, and the like. It's obviously a huge uh, issue and it's very important to point out this is not just about Clonmel. I mean, these calls and texts at the moment are about Clonmel, but you will find that drug dealing and drug taking is flourishing in most of our towns and indeed our villages as well. Irish households are facing uh, a big hike in the annual grocery shop Um and some new analysis has been done out there with uh, a third of shoppers saying that they're struggling to make ends meet. And figures from Kantar uh, suggest that grocery price inflation hit a record high of 12.4% with the rising cost of everyday essentials hitting shoppers particularly hard. Now the figures show that the average price of staples such as butter, milk and bread are now 28% higher than this time last year. 28% higher. And uh, Barbara was in touch with us and joins me now. Barbara, good morning to you. 
Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed, and good to talk to you, Barbara. You've done I'm your too. you've done your own analysis on this. You, your weekly spend was about one twenty. Is that right? Yeah. So I added everything up. So in total, it's twenty two thirteen. Twenty two thirteen of of an increase, is it? Yeah. On a, on which a, to me that is you know a lot like. Right. I mean. Where where do you find an extra... I mean, per month then, that's what? That's about 80, 80, 90 euro. Yeah, but sometimes I don't do my shopping every week. I might do a bulk shopping. Right. But I sort of have this, you know, money-saving thing where I buy a shampoo and I keep the old bottle and I add half it and lukewarm water and shake it up. And then I don't use, you know, the hand sanitizer wash... I use fairy liquid because that's, that cleans germs too. Yeah, and uh, you know, is it in recent times that you've had to come up with measures like this to save a few bob? Yeah, it's just since everything went up. Yeah, and uh, do you? I mean, you... I love my shampoos and stuff, but I had to use, you know, the cheaper, the cheaper ones, ones now. And it's interesting to say that the likes of butter, milk, and bread now twenty eight percent higher. Would you would you notice that? Well, I see. I use yeast, you know, the gluten free bread, right. and that has gone up. Has it a hell of a lot? Yeah, anything the wish is gluten free. I just couldn't believe the price of it. Now, I presume gluten free anyway would be more expensive generally, would it? Yeah. Right, and now that's even gone higher again. Yeah, but I remember, like for three liters of milk, it was only two forty. Now it's two ninety. Right, so that's a fifty cent increase there. Yeah. What you know, I, I saw in the papers today, people are going to need a bit of a, another dig out in some way before Christmas. Do you, Do you think that's going to be the case, Barbara? I actually don't think they'll do it. Do you not think so? No. I just think they're all talk. I don't think they'll do it. What about where electricity and the like is concerned? What have you seen there? Um, well, I've got rid of the dimidifier and I put money in, you know, because I haven't bought even with the 50 euros and I'm only doing one wash a week. The 50 is going nowhere. And so you have one of these boxes, do you, that you pay? Yeah, the, yeah. yeah. They just eat it, but the one I'm on um, takes out a euro a day, so that's seven euros a week. Yeah, out of your money. Right, and and how do you mean it takes it out? <clears throat> You'll have to it explain that takes... to me because I I don't have one <clears throat> of those boxes, so I don't understand it. Okay, you yeah. know the main fuse I do. outside your house yes. that went mm-hmm. and. I didn't even know there was a main fuse. That shows you how stupid I am. Ah, you're not stupid But these three uh, lovely EFB men came and um, I was talking about changing over. Yes. And uh, they said you're with the dearest one. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, I understand that. Right. And I said... And you need, you need mention the name to me now, but go on. No, no. Yes. But he said, did you know they take a euro out a day? Just for... For giving you access to it in the first place, is that it? It's yeah. just it's a charge. And I couldn't believe words. it. Yeah, and I said, "Are you sure?" He said, "Yeah." And then when I rang Bonkers.ie, they rang me back, and they told me that 
I was going to change and I had it all arranged. And what I was told was by any company, I would have to pay 200 euros for them to remove the box, you know, the I do, yes. their box, Two, which I think is very unfair. 200 euros? Yeah. To swap this from... Before, yeah, if you wanted to swap companies, it's a different box. Is that it? Yeah. Lord God. But, but it's a euro a day, and that's just a charge, just a general charge. That has nothing to yeah. do with the amount of electricity you use or anything yeah. like that. Now, with my washing, I've cut down to uh, one day a week. Like, I have a huge washing machine, so that holds, like, the 14 kg. So that would do, you know, a week's washing. And um, I don't use the dryer. It's just an ornament. And I haven't, I'm not going to put my heating on now till December. So I'm going around, I'm going around like layers of clothes on me. You must be now. I know I'm a cold creature anyway, but I find the night times sometimes very chilly. How do you, how do you manage? Do you just layer up with the clothes? I have 40 tea lights on in the sitting room. And I have a big long hot water bottle and I just snuggle up. And that's it. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel it's unfair the way things are? Um, I think people who are very, very well off, I'm talking about, like the politicians and everything, they're getting the 200 euros. Yeah, yeah. Judges are getting it. Yeah, that's right. It's Solicitors, every, I don't mul- think Multi-millionaires, everybody. Yeah, yeah multi I don't actually think they should get it. And I don't think they should be getting children's loans either. Now, maybe there's going to, I don't know, but I'm just telling you how I feel. Yeah, and, and, and that's your opinion. And it should be more focused, is what you're saying. In yeah. Terms of getting, getting money to the people who need it. Yeah. And it breaks my heart, you know, like to see people on the streets begging and homeless people. Like, because there was nothing really done for them. So I don't know how they're going to cope in the winter. Yeah. One of our listeners says that I think she's just mean with money. What, what would you say to that listener? That I'm actually mean with money. Yeah, that's what she said here, yeah. How am I mean with money? I don't know. I have two dogs, okay? They come before me. I had to cut down on Luna's food from a good brand. But with Bayer, he has a very sensitive stomach. I have to keep, you know, him on his brand because he has allergies. So they're coming before yourself? Yeah. They're my babies. Like, as I said before, with Bear, with the pandemic, Luna's only new. She's only eight months. I got present of her. Mm. But with Bear through the pandemic, if I didn't have him, if I didn't have Tip FM and my friends ringing me, I don't know what I'd, you know, do. Oh, that was I your, am that not was your mean company. with money. Yeah. yeah, I am not mean with money. Trust me, I am not mean with money. And I am not a mean person. In and, any shape or form. And I know, I know you're not indeed, but I just wonder sometimes how people get a, a different end of the stick completely. You know, it's, it's amazing. I think when you're living on your own, shopping is actually more expensive. Why, why do you say that to me now? I just find it's more expensive. Like when the children were living here, now they're, you know, they're, they're gone from me. Yes. Um, and I see them, but... Um, Say if they come up for a weekend, I find it cheaper buying, you know, it works out cheaper. Right. Okay, because there's a certain amount of waste, I suppose, if you're just cooking for one. Is that it? Or you just... Yeah. But I just, I like, I'm eating my salads and I'm doing, 
You know, I don't really buy fresh fruit anymore because it's rock hard, you know, the pears. Yes, yeah. You need to have teeth like Jaws trying to bite <laughs> into them. Do you know what you I mean? Would, yeah, that but happened that, to me recently. I bought six pears and a thingy and a, a cellophane thing. And you're right, I couldn't eat them. Yeah, yeah, but what I do with them, I make shakes. I use oat milk, okay. which is cheap, and I put that in with my shakes. So that would be my breakfast. And that would fill me up then for my dinner. But I don't cook meals or anything like that. Right. And and do you get all the nutrients you need, Barbara, and all of that? Or yeah, that's... I'm on I'm on multivitamins and right. stuff like that. Okay. But I love fruit now. I buy, you know, the frozen fruit. Yes. I find that a lot cheaper. Okay. Okay. So you're not buying bags of ice, which is saving money. Right. I mean, look at the Americans, what they do with the coupons. And then I'm being called mean. Did they ever watch that coupon program? I'll or they t- might spend only yeah, 50 I've, I've just something. glanced through it from time to time. Tell me about that, that they, they, they use the coupons to live, basically, don't they? Yeah, but I watched this one night and I couldn't believe it. This guy was using the same tea bag ten times and oh. he used to hang them on the line. Ah, and I was stop. nearly... Yeah, and then going into hotels, getting toilet paper. Now, that is what you call eccentric and mean. And his wife was giving out stink to him. You know that he wanted to be brought for a meal. She was looking forward to a glass of wine. Do you know what he ordered? What? A glass of plain water. Oh, God, he's a right romantic, isn't he? Yeah, very. I don't. Know. I think that's a disease with some people, though, that they're so mean to that point, you know. But um, anyway, it was lovely to but talk I to you, Barbara. I am not mean, and I tell uh, you, you are that not. now. Of course I am you're not, not mean. Of course you're not. And you look after yourself, Barbara, and thank you. And my best to the dogs as well. Thanks very much, Barbara. Thank you, thank Fran. you. Bye bye, Dot. Bye bye. And bye-bye. lovely, lovely talking bye-bye. to you too. Thank you very much indeed. Eighteen hundred nine three eight double zero seven. Electric Ireland wants two hundred and fifty euro to remove the page go meter, even though I didn't get it in. It says here. Oh, I see what you mean, that it was there before you went into the house. Um, okay, Fran, the page you go, I put roughly €30 euro a week in. They have a standing charge, just like the ESB. I have everything on it. I find you can manage it. Uh, the odd time it goes to credit, um, it says here, maybe two. Yeah. Okay, I'm not quite sure what the end of the text is, but thank you for that. 083 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage Puck On, you can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Now, if you're in a relationship with a feeder... You might actually be one yourself. A study of uh, 76 couples set out to identify people who are feeders who admitted in a questionnaire to behaviours like topping up people's plates even when they don't want any more, giving them uh, more food than they could ever eat. I'm fascinated by this study and for more on this I'm glad to be joined by Professor uh, Jane Ogden. And uh, good morning to Professor Ogden. 
morning. And thank you very much indeed for coming on with us uh, today. You're a professor of health psychology at the University of Surrey. Would you tell me what exactly is a feeder? Well, it's somebody who gives someone else food even when they don't want it. So it's not about being hungry. It's not about helping somebody who's hungry. It's it's sort of deliberately and deliberately overfeeding somebody else even when they're they're not hungry. And that other person might have said, I'm not hungry, or they might have already eaten, or they might be full, uh, or it might be between mealtimes and that person's about to have a meal and doesn't actually want it. But it's not necessarily a a nasty behaviour. It can be done through love um, or through affection, but it's a way of feeding somebody up, I guess. What do you mean when you say that if you're in a relationship with a feeder, you may be one too? Well, we looked at, in our study, we had couples, um, and I suppose I was interested in how being a feeder relation, works in relationships, um, and whether it's a one-way process or whether it's a two-way process. And we found both, really. So we found that in some couples, both couples were feeders, and it kind of helped their relationship. So if one was an emotional eater, then the other person would feed them to feed their emotions. Um, or if one person was a dieter, they would feed the other person to help them diet. So it worked both ways. It was a sort of process of, of it was a reciprocal process, really. So it went, it worked both ways, and I guess it worked for them in some way. It might not work in terms of body weight, mm. uh, in terms of you know being healthy necessarily, but it worked for them in a relationship. But we also found in some couples it wasn't like that. So it was much more of a kind of linear process of one person feeding the other person, um, and the other person not necessarily wanting it. Is it linked to status as well? In other words, you know, here's the kind of spread we can put on because we can afford it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think there's lots of cultural differences in this and lots of family differences in this. But, you know, you you invite somebody around for a birthday or for a wedding or for a religious festival or for some kind of ceremony or some kind of um, celebration and you put so much food on the table because you want to show that you can do, that it's part of your status, it's part of your culture, that you have enough money to do this. Um, And then you overfeed people. Um, So you make sure that there's plenty. And I know, you know, I certainly know in some cultures... You don't want any leftovers. Mm. I mean, to have leftovers, you, you want leftovers because if you didn't have leftovers, it would feel that you hadn't fed people enough. Um, so the sign of having put on a good spread is that there was always food at the end and nobody was ever full. Why we were so interested in this, Jane, is that I think this is a particularly Irish thing. I mean, my late mother, if, if 20 people arrived at the house, she would have enough food to feed them. Like, you know, I don't know where it came from or whatever, but uh, it, I think it's a very Irish thing. Yeah. Well, I think I think it is as well. I think it is. And I think it's, you know, I wonder whether there's a kind of history of a famine going back there yeah, or whether yeah. it's a post-war thing um, and cultures that have had times of absolute want um, that they also feel like that. Because I know my mum is very much like that and she would say that's a post-war effect as well. It's a post-rationing effect that you kind of recovered and therefore you have to have lots of food um, mm. to give when they come round. Now, it's all grand and very well. You're well fed, you're looked after, it's showing you love. But what about the downside of this then? I mean, weight is the obvious one. Well, absolutely. Weight is the obvious one because if one person is trying to lose weight, then the other person, through love perhaps, although not always through love, I think, can actually sabotage their attempts at trying to eat less. So, you know, food in a relationship is such a kind of powerful part of how relationships work. If one person in that relationship says, um, I'm going to try and eat less, I want to lose some weight, I want to eat differently, I don't want to eat the kinds of foods that we've always been having, or I want to break our habits, you know, maybe in the afternoon we have a cup of tea and a muffin, and they say, I don't want the muffin any longer um, because I'm trying to lose weight. That breaks 
that relationship dynamic, it breaks that habit, and it's difficult for the other person to then go along with that. So feeding them is a way of saying, actually, I want to maintain the status quo. I want you to be like me. Um, I want to carry on the things that we're doing. And that's not helpful if someone else is trying to lose weight. And if you try to break that cycle, I mean, can it damage a relationship, for example? Well, I think so. I mean, I've, you know, I've seen in some of the kind of clinic, weight loss clinics that I've, um, I've, I've kind of been around and done research in, that when somebody loses weight or when try, someone's trying to lose weight, their partner, much as they might love them, finds that really difficult because they end up being in a relationship with somebody who's just different. You know, and we all have habits around food which are built up over years and years of being in relationships and that person might feel like they're not the person that you knew you were with any longer. And then also if that person does start to lose weight and sometimes the partner can feel a bit threatened by that, um, can feel a bit, oh my God, they're going to actually leave me. Um, and so that can be worrying and that's when they then might start trying to, to overfeed them as well to kind of make sure that they they stay with them. It's interesting that over the last 20, 30 years we've been flooded with diets and talk about what we should and shouldn't be eating and one thing and another. But I certainly in my experience, I haven't come across this angle uh, before. It's a wonder more people haven't spoken about this over the years. No, I mean, I, I, I wonder as well. I mean, I think it's kind of, it's, it's sort of implicitly there, isn't it? And we all know, you know, aunts and uncles and mothers and granddads yeah. and grandmothers or whatever that do it, but it's never really been given a name. Um, and so I think that that's what I was interested in. I mean, I've definitely seen it around in, in my little world and my, my, my family world and it's, it's kind of what we do. So I think I was just quite interested in how, you know, you reach for food and you give it to somebody else and you think, no, they don't need that. You know, why are you giving that to that to them? But um, no, it's something that very personally interested me. So I thought I'd just do some work on it. So we did these couple of studies and, and I think there's lots more mileage in it really to kind of find out how you then can prevent it because you don't want to stop someone loving with someone. It's a bit like killing with kindness, I of think. I mean, I, you know, yes. I think I've done some work on with the vet school that we here, have here at Surrey. And, you know, it's very parallel to people who have overweight cats or overweight dogs or overweight horses. You know, they're killing with kindness, really. They think they're being kind and they're showing love, but actually the animal is suffering. And um, often, Jane, they know what they're doing as well. And they love this creature, but they continue to do it anyway. Well, that's right. I mean, that's it's, it's bizarre, isn't it? We, we we do things for ourselves and for others that on some level we know aren't good for us or for them, but, but we carry on doing them. And that's, you know, that's the kind of big paradoxical problem that other psychologists have been trying to think about for, for decades and haven't really solved. But why do people do what's not good for them or good for others? And I think, you know, my take on that is, is very simple, really, is that it's just a, a cost-benefit analysis and that the benefits of doing it are always in the here and now. So the cake type tastes nice, the animal is grateful, the partner is pleased, and the, the costs are always in the future. Um, so benefits now always beat costs in the future. So we just live in the here and now and we do things which work for us, but they have longer-term implications. It's most interesting. Just before you came on, we had a conversation about the cost of living, and uh, I'm sure it's uh, similar in the UK, but over here at the moment it's just gone through the roof. I'm not sure how many feeders will be around with the way things are going. <laughs> Well, this is right. Food's going to take on a whole other dimension. Absolutely. All the prices completely change. Yeah, I mean, food, you know, food as love, food as, as decadence, food as celebration, all of that stuff's going to change when we're going back to just trying to get food into the family and into the house and just survive, really. No, it's scary. 
It's most interesting. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Professor. You're Thank very you. Welcome. Thank You're you. Welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye Bye bye to you now. Professor Jane Ogden there, Professor of Health uh, Psychology at the University of uh, Surrey, talking to us there about that uh, research on couples who are feeders. Are you a feeder? Do you live with a feeder? Are you both feeders? Uh, is that ringing any bells with you uh, this morning? 1800-938-007. If I'm a full-time family carer, I care for my 21-year-old son. My son needs 24-7 uh, care. He receives a disability allowance, but this allowance doesn't come close to what he actually needs to live. He's not entitled to his fuel allowance because his dad receives a small foreign pension. It costs an extra €400 Euro per month to care for him and I'm expected to, uh, to come up with that money from my carer's allowance as needed. I will make sure that his needs are covered but uh, that means going without myself and our government thinks it's OK to give money to the very well off in our country. Um, they've made Ireland a very unfair society to live in and it's really uh, sad. The kind of uh, Ireland I'd like to see is a fair society for all, says one of our listeners on 083 311 All right, then it's time to talk farming. And I'm glad to be joined as usual by Pat O'Toole. And Pat, of course, is news reporter with the Farmers Journal. Good morning to you, Pat. Morning, Fran. And thanks for your time this morning. Acres, uh, the scheme finally opens up. At last. Um, the new reps, as it was called, at the foundation mm. of the government, which is quite a while ago now. Uh, we're about to have our second rotation of Taoiseach within this government. <coughs> but um, uh, the acre scheme is opening. It will close on the 21st of November for applications for this for next year. So it's a very narrow window. 30,000 farmers um, uh, will be accepted. We ex- expect it to be over-applied for because there will be 50,000 places in all, but only 30,000 for next year. And then another 20,000 farmers will apply uh, in 2023 to uh, commence in 2024. Um, the, uh, it's the agri-environmental scheme uh, using a mixture of money coming from Brussels and domestic money. And what's interesting about the domestic money is that's part of the 1.5 billion which has been ring-fenced for agricultural purposes from the carbon tax. Yes. So it's money which everybody's paying through the carbon tax and which is coming back in. And there's a lot of criticism of the carbon mm. tax, especially with fuel costs so high at the moment. But it, I suppose <clears throat> having... Uh, gathered the money from uh, in the way that it has been gathered, it's very important that it's spent wisely. So people will be watching this scheme closely for its effectiveness, both in terms of for the farmer and uh, for the Environment and Wider Society. It, it has to work for both, obviously. There's a charge on the farmer to, to oh, get yes. involved, isn't there? Yeah, so it's quite a complex um, application process. There's a lot of... Uh, of decisions to be made as to which of the menu of schemes an individual farmer is best advised to apply for. So if someone goes through Chagask, it'll be about 550. Um, and then there are private advisors. Chagask is the uh, state, I suppose, state agency. It, it's advisory. It's also the research agency. It's also the educational agency. Uh, so it's, it's a three-headed um, monster would be very much the wrong word, a beast, and uh, that gives it some advantages. But we do have a, a, about as many private advisors as there are Chagask advisors, and they will be working flat out between now and the 21st of November to uh, to get those applications over the imagine. line. And it is, it's €550, Euros, which is about 5% of the annual um, 
um, maximum return. Uh, uh, what what is the, the average payment? The average. What, what, yeah, so we what, won't know yet, yeah. but we would expect it to be about 5000 for the general scheme. Uh, would w- would probably catch the max there is seven, right. and then the the scheme for farmers who are on very challenged land and commonage, uh, that has a max of about ten and a half thousand, and we expect them average there to be somewhere around seven thousand. But it's only when the schemes uh, are close for applications and we see the nature of the applications that we'll fully understand that. The organic farming scheme that's open for application as well. Yes. Um, huge amount of money available for this. Um, not sure what the level of uptake will be, but with mm. the cost of inputs, especially fertiliser at the moment, yeah. um, that's uh, it, it's more attractive than it's ever been to a farmer for purely economic reasons. Mm. And uh, you know, farmers go become organic for a large variety of reasons. With some, it's holistic. It's it's a, a view of uh, of how farming and food production should evolve and how how our relationship with the natural world for, should evolve. For others, it's simply a matter of economics. It's uh, It pays better. And, uh, you know, as we harness things like multi-species spores, which don't require nitrogen, and as we improve our technical ability to manage herds without the pesticides, without the... Uh, without the artificial fertiliser and without the uh, animal remedies that we've become dependent on, um, uh, it becomes more attractive. But uh, there are a lot of farmers who are becoming uh, less dependent on inputs when they're reducing their volume of input usage uh, and and more nutrient efficient, if you like, who will stop short of going full organic because it is quite restrictive and uh, you have to really be on top of your game. Uh, a good organic farmer is one of the better farmers you're going to meet out there. It's very interesting. You mentioned uh, fertiliser there. The EU fertiliser prices, there's a bit of an ease there, is there? Uh, yes, but uh, it's a relative thing. The big concern still is that we seem to be shy on um, on the amount of fertiliser we're going to have, especially... Uh, in, in Ireland, I mean, if you look at this week's paper, there's three articles. There's one there saying that farmers need to go and source their fertiliser. And this is from the National Fodder and Food Security Committee, uh, something that has almost been forgotten about, but a working group set up to at the start of the year to address the issues caused by uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Mm. And we see that conflict escalating. Turlon have launched a fertiliser payment deferral scheme, and that's allowing farmers to commit to buying fertiliser now and defer permit until the end of the year. We had the importers last week calling for a scheme to put money in place so that they can buy uh, fertiliser. What we're hearing is that uh, in order for an importer to <clears throat> to get a load, uh, that is a bulk load, remember, not a lorry load, of fertiliser in, they have to put money up front. In order for them to be able to do that, they're calling on merchants to pay forward, and the merchants in turn are asking for the farmers to pay forward. But what may happen is that we may get a uh, we may get a, a tipping point where the, the old saying of the, there's no cure for high prices like high prices, and that prices are so high that demand is sluggish. But the minute prices come back, there will be that latent surge in demand. Course, yeah. um, and, and the other side of that is that Brussels, from the politics, there's actually a tax on fertilizer. Um, uh, which uh, they're looking to have that removed because the cost of fertiliser is so prohibitive at the moment that it's actually uh, impeding on, on food supply and food production.
It seems that that uh, concrete levy is being rolled back to uh, 5%, but some of, some of the farming organisations think it, it, it's not far enough. No, they want it scrapped. Yeah. <clears throat> and their point being that uh, there's no doubt that the, the MICA crisis scandal <clears throat> uh, is proving extremely costly for government. Yeah. And uh, even at that to redress scheme, you know, it, it, a, a lot of the people who are affected would say it doesn't go far enough. But it's a question about who should pay, and uh, farmers are wondering why the end user is 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 paying when the reality is that it's the construction industry itself that uh, is really carries the can here mm. uh, for whatever blame uh, there should be. And and the other thing is that Micah, as far as we've been told so far, it's exclusively relating to concrete blocks mm. as opposed to. Uh, loose concrete. So uh, if you're lo- ordering ready mix, uh, there's no fear that you would ever have been affected by mica. And what farmers are wondering is why that product is being levied. Yeah, um, and, and my understanding of this, Pat, is that it will um, no longer apply to precast, but but it will apply, as you say, to ready mix. Yeah, and that and blocks still. Is, yeah, so ready mix is is by far the the dominant. Uh, usage for, for farmers, for farmers, of course, uh, yes. and and uh, while, while it is, uh, it, it will help for building costs, uh, not just for farmers but for everybody that the precast has been removed, because um, ultimately this is a, a levy on buildings mm. Um, mm. to pay for the redress scheme, rather than on builders or on construction. And yeah. uh, again, it's the. It's the person at the end of the line that takes the hit. Of course it is, isn't it? Always the way. Just before I let you go, it seems to be a good outlook for winter milk, uh, Pat. But is is the future a little uncertain on it, though? Um, uh, you're talking about a story I'm not aware of here now. Uh, there's so much in the journal that we don't get to cover it of every course, year. But yeah, I think yeah. in in terms of in terms of winter milk, um, there are very high production costs, yeah. and um, much like winter finishing of cattle. Uh, we have become so efficient at utilising grass during the grazing season and extending the grazing season mm. that uh, we have created huge efficiencies, uh, economic efficiencies, and that makes the winter period expensive. And uh, so if, when you buy milk in the shop, uh, when we talk about winter milk, just to give a context, yes. uh, there are some farmers who commit to producing milk through the winter months in the house period, and they would have some of their herd calving in the spring, some of the autumn, so there is fresh milk uh, available for your carton of milk because early lactation milk is the high quality milk that uh, you want in your carton um, and farmers make a commitment to that it's a huge workload it means you're milking Christmas morning you're milking 365 days of the year and it means that uh, you're calving is split so you've got two calving seasons which is very intensive <clears throat> and uh, with the labour shortages on farms yes. farmers are questioning how achievable that is going forward interesting pat always good to talk to you and we appreciate your time thank you good morning to you that's pat o'toole there pat is a news reporter with the irish farmers journal and that is on your shelves right now tip fm's tip today with fran curry in association with slatteries of pecan tipperary's main peugeot dealer slatteries garage pecan the name you can trust for over 50 years in the premier county slatteriesgarage.ie Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com.
Welcome back to Tip Today. Now, earlier in the programme, we spoke to Peter about his concerns over footpaths uh, in the Dundrum area, particularly from the uh, Dundrum House uh, Cross right up to uh, the village. And there's a footpath about halfway up there. But uh, Councillor Declan Burgess was on to us about this. Good morning to you, Declan. Morning, Fran. Uh, good to talk to you today. This is something that you say you've been working on for some time, Declan, even before the Ukrainian people arrived. Yeah, and I think it's it's a vital project that needs to be delivered um, for the community. And like I said, long before the Ukrainian refugees came to Dundrum, there was a, a real need for this footpath from Dundrum House right down to the village to make it a safe and accessible uh, you know, location in that area. So look, I've, I've been on it again, you know, to our district team and our road section because um, I suppose we need to see some progress on this. And, and you know, I do intend to raise this at our municipal district meeting on Monday coming. Um, I think with the active travel funding that's that's around at the moment, I think can fund and deliver a project um, of this level like we've done in, in other villages. And you see the footpath repairs in Dundrum yes. already are from the active travel scheme. So I think we can do it. Um, right, but is, is that not, has that funding not dried up for, for this period of time though? Completely, but look, footpaths aren't going to be delivered in, you know, in, in the following day. Right now, and I heard on, on, on Peter and he he raised that signage needs to be erected. I think in a short term, signage should be erected. Yeah. It's something I've already emailed the district team about. That can we get some signage that walkers are, are around? And I do encourage everyone um, walking the roads, no matter where it is, if it's in Dundrum or if it's in Clolty or if it's in Cashel, to where high is and be safe on the roads because mm-hmm. we've seen far too many accidents over the years and fatalities because you know walking on roads can be quite dangerous sometimes. So. No, high visits will will, will yes. certainly help help and you. And, you and know, we do have a duty of care to the people that we're taking in and looking after, Declan. Big time, and, and yeah. a lot of these a lot of these things haven't been considered. And like you know, I haven't had any interaction with the Ukrainian settlement project in Dundrum. I I, I was disappointed by that that they didn't reach out to to, to the councillors. I know the the councillor involved in it, but as councillors, we haven't been. Uh, considered or, or engaged with. Now, I but must say, that's my watering hole there, and they're looked after extremely well there, you know. And oh, really, yeah. you know, But but once they get out in the roads, then that's a different uh, ball game, isn't it? Yeah. And look, a design is needed here, and, you know, it's much more than just put a footpath there. There's, yeah. Yeah. there's consultation needed with the stakeholders, and when I say the stakeholders, there's properties and homes along that stretch that need to be talked to. And, yeah, and, you know, they'd only be delighted know, with a proper footpath outside, big, big wouldn't they? Time, but yeah. consultation is needed. We need to get this right. So I'll be urging that that our you know active travel team and our district team um, make some progress on this and get mm. a proposal to the table that we can approve and that we can apply for funding to deliver it. Because mm. we can be talking about this footpath for many years to come, but we need to make movement on it. It's highlighted the need with the Ukrainian refugees here because there is a lot of tra- traffic coming from the, let's say, the hotel side into the village. Um, but, you know, that traffic has been there to a certain extent for a long time. For a long so. time, absolutely. And it's from the early morning as well. I always worry, maybe it's the cynic in me, Declan, when I hear about consultation and stuff, because that always means a long time down the road. Um, does, does that concern you? I mean, should this is something that's kind of simple to get up and running, really, if the funding was there? Yeah, if the funding was there, but there's obviously, you know, a design was with... No, I think it's very important that we engage 
with residents on the ground. Like if there was a footpath going, you know, we need to ensure sight lines, uh, property isn't hindered, different things like that. If there's sections where you might need to maybe move a ditch or something like that, there's a bit of work to do there. Um, and I think a lot of uh, some parts of that work has already taken place, which is good news because when I first raised this with the with the district team, you know, we did have some conversations, and I think it was earmarked for funding with active travel. So we need to we need to get clarity on that. I'm going to raise it on Monday. Hopefully, we can see some sort of progress or intent from from the council on this. Um, but in the in the short term, I do agree wholeheartedly that we need signage um, and maybe road markings as such to be to be installed. And, and tell me about that. I mean, is there if I, if something is needed as badly as this is at the moment, because I think it will be a lifesaver in a lot of ways. Um, is there a fund there that can get signage there within the next? I don't know. I'll be generous. The next month, for example. Oh well, yeah. There's safety, there's safety measures there, but you know, let's have something was highlighted that there's no reason why it can't be delivered within a month for signage. It's something that I'd be strongly calling on um, to be installed in the coming weeks. Mm. Okay, and you think that that's a possibility? Well, look, we always get frustrated as, about, let's say, delay and, and things on projects, but Mike was mentioned this is a, a big safety issue. It's 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 a, it's a, it's a, It could potentially you know, be a lot worse than it is, so we need to make sure that we're proactive and not reactive to a scenario here. Um, so I feel really strongly about that, that we can't delay on something as basic as signage. Um, and if that comes out of our general municipal allocation, the councillors have a say in, I'd be looking for support on that, that we, we, we put some funding there. Or, you know, or if it comes from the road section in terms of a safety measure. Yeah, and just you know, in terms of discussions around this, one of our listeners brought up another interesting point, which, which is lighting, I suppose, and I hadn't thought of about that either and maybe that's something you might bring up in your discussions there as well. Big time and look we're, we're going to improve some of the lighting on the main street in the village um, you know in the coming months which is good news yeah. but in terms of further out where where we have a where, where we have a DPI estate that's not yet taken in charge with an application for a long time in, in Kilmanor um, there it's, it's that needs badly to be taken in charge there's lighting installed all at the front of that estate that hasn't been working because it's a developer provided infrastructure and the council haven't taken in charge because we're waiting on Irish Water to provide funding for it. So that's something that we can highlight here with Irish Water, that there's an increased traffic flow from from the from the housing but also from the hotel that we need to improve on the lighting. Yeah, well, if it's anything like the Irish Water and local <coughs> authority situation out in Kilross, we could be waiting a long time for that. Very but, similar, and yeah. they have been waiting years and yeah. years for a taken in charge to be fully fully completed, which is deeply disappointing. And it's something that you know, has been raised by Irish Water every chance we get. But sometimes Irish Water just don't seem to be interested in, in, in providing um, the necessary funding for DPIs. And West Tipperary has the highest amount of DPI estates yes. in the county. But, but if memory serves me correct, is that not because the local authority has come to some agreement with Irish Water about these estates? Is that, is... Well, as far as I'm aware, Tip County Council are very willing to engage and have been engaging with Irish Water, and now it's a mere issue of funding. So it's an Irish Water, um, the ball is in their court in terms of funding. All right. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Uh, Declan, thanks for your time this morning. Look after yourself. Thanks, Frank. Good Thank stuff. you. Good morning to you. That's uh, Councillor Declan Burgess uh, speaking to us uh, there. Uh, Deputy Martin Brown was on to us to say an engineer has agreed to meet him in Dundrum on Monday.
about these issues. So thanks for that, uh, Martin. So this uh, hopefully will be pushed along indeed. Um, Fran, I don't know if it's already been mentioned on the programme, but uh, the price of tickets for the GAA matches, the county semi-finals, uh, old age pensioners charged full price, and again on Sunday next, it's the same. Students are charged €15. Uh, It's bloody ridiculous, and no cash taken says one of our listeners on 083 311 Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on. On 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat, and uh, welcome back to the final hour of Tip Today. Now, as you know, we're on air with you every single weekday morning from nine. We spoke to Paul in the first hour of uh, the programme about the incredible situation that he has found himself in after AIB made contact with his son, who they adopted from Russia when he was a baby, to tell him that because of his Russian heritage, there will be sanctions on his account. Now, here's just a little of what Paul had to say to us. It was like a knife through the heart of the family. For the first time in... What, 11 years, he's 17 now. He was a year and a half when he came. Just never once was his heritage mentioned by anybody on the list. As a family who have been trying so hard to protect him from all the negativity that's going on, this thing just was a hammer blow. It was money that was put there by his grandparents, mm-hmm. you know, and we just kept it going in memory of that. At the heartlessness of this, the coldness of this, because a young child in care who never asked to come to Ireland, his future was decided in a courtroom in Omsk in September 2007. Mm. He had no say. He didn't even know he was coming to Ireland. Mm. But my worry is, Fran, let's just say in years to come, right, he decides he wants to go to college or he wants to start a job mm. or the house is left to him. Mm. And let's just suppose after we're dead and gone, he might decide he wants to sell that house. And he sold it. He made a decision that that's what he wants to do. And he had that money. Can they just freeze that money then? Just for something he had no hand acting or part in this conflict. A country he never asked to come to. In your correspondence with them, Paul, you said that you would pull your finances from AIB. Oh, yeah. Are you yeah. still of that opinion? Yeah, absolutely. And that was Paul who spoke to us in the first hour of uh, the programme. We're on air with you every single weekday morning from 9 o'clock and we'd love your company at that point as well. Now it's time for our weekly health slot and uh, delighted as usual to be joined by the CEO of Marito uh, 8020. That's Muriel Cuddy. Muriel, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. And good to see you today. Over the last few weeks we've been talking about various different uh, things that people can get done at Marito and all of that. But you were saying that a lot of the people coming into you sometimes... It's the basic stuff that you end up dealing with as well. 
It's funny because um, this week, I suppose, made me think a lot about there's, there's different kinds of people, right? So we're mm. all different. And some people love aesthetic treatments and they just want to go and get the aesthetic treatments done and an injection or laser lipo, things sucked out, all the bits and a quick fix or just even feel better. Like, you know, that you walk up the steps and somebody does something like that to you and you walk out looking a million times better. Mm. Some people don't want that at all and they want the nutrition and the education and the other side. And then there's people in the middle. For me this week, I suppose, when I sat with people, and I've so many people seen on a one-to-one, it was literally people sat with their hands out. So we'd done their bloods, we'd done different profiles like cures for in relation to cardiac health, lipid management, which is in relation to cholesterols and stuff, diabetic, um, diabetic things and that, or diabetic profiles. And when I sat down with people, I'd say to them, listen, what is it you want? So a lot of people are on different tablets for different things. And it was education, Fran, back to the basics of what should I be doing, Muriel? Like, mm-hmm. what does a day look like? What should I be eating? What shouldn't I be eating? And if I have this and I don't have this, where do I go with it? So that, for me, was like... Mm. And is it because we're bombarded with information, particularly if we're on social media? Um, yeah. There's a different diet, there's a different way mm-hmm. of nutrition. And we don't know, we can't pick from that what we should be doing. I think, um, and even in me, with my head and social media and everything that's given to you, to retain information is really hard now. Like, you get so much information from so many different sides. So if somebody gives you information, say, 10, 15 minutes ago, and then you're on social media and you're looking at something else, and then you're looking at something else, by the end of the day, how much of what have you actually retained? So if somebody said the keto diet... Very little. You might remember one sentence of what you read about a keto diet. You might remember one sentence of what you're supposed to do in relation to your cholesterol. Hmm. And then something on something else. And then you're trying to put all three together and you're wondering, right, okay, what am I actually supposed to be having? Did he say 20% fats and all protein and no carbs? And and then when it comes to it, like, what's an actual carb and what's fat and what's Mm. essential Mm. fat? And, Mm. you know, how much should I be having? And like three people, there was actually three men. I've had a lot of men in this week. Mm. And the profile of men would be 45, say, to 70, 75. Mm. And someone even said to me, like, well, Muriel, what are good protein choices? And, you know, what does, what does carbohydrates look like? And, like, these are words that we know, say maybe, or the younger generation, mm. I know because of my world, but the younger generation might know it if they're playing sport and they've done a little in school. But older people don't seem to know the difference between the A and B. And that's not being negative or anything. It's just, yeah, people yeah, have course, never educated. Yeah. So will you take us back to basics yeah. then? Yeah, so back to the basics, yeah, which is, I just, I love being able to do this, yeah. right? So a carbohydrate is literally what gives us energy, okay? Carbohydrates in the form of fuel we can retain in our body and we can store, if we're going for a walk later on, if somebody's playing a game, um, if we're working, whatever it is, that's our energy, that fuels our body. If we take in too many carbohydrates, we can actually store them. They turn to glycogen in our muscles and that we can store it as body fat. So we can become overweight by overdoing carbohydrates, right? Mm. There's good and bad carbohydrates. So for most people, 60 to 70% of your diet should be carbohydrates, okay? Colour in abundance is carbohydrates. So all your fruit and veg, literally in abundance. Potatoes, rice, all kinds of rice, pastas, breads, they're all carbohydrates. So never worry about eating fruit and veg. The ones you need to limit to a certain extent when you get to a certain age are things like your potatoes, your rice, your pastas, your breads, most especially your breads. The other ones aren't as bad, right? Mm. So that's your carbohydrates. With your protein, that's different. So your protein is your skeletal makeup. That's your bones, your muscles, your hormones, um, enzymes, uh, nails, all of that kind of thing. So how the body is actually made up is made up of protein. Yes. We don't store protein to the same level. So protein is our skeletal makeup, but we don't store it that it's going to turn to body fat. So that's different completely. And you've all the younger generation thinking they need to eat so much protein um, to be lean and become leaner and all the bits and pieces. But it doesn't work like that. Like if I was to eat, say, 10 breasts of chicken today, I'm not going to store that. So I end up urinating it out. 
So I'll use, my body will use as much as it needs. So like a stick and plaster for injuries and build my muscles and build my bones and stuff. But there's only a certain amount of it that my body will retain. With protein, the choices are like white meat, red meat, um, all your fish, eggs, the white of an egg is a fantastic source of protein. And then mm. you get it in smaller amounts through your milk products, dairy, even nuts have a little bit of protein, things like that. So you get it from there. Your fat is the next one. This is the one we don't have. So with protein, we need 25, 20% protein there, thereabouts in our diet and probably about 20% fat as well. But that's the one people don't have. And that's like, helps with depression, helps with stress, helps with anxiety, helps with heart health, it helps with so many different things. And you know, you don't utilise protein properly. The amino acids aren't released properly, which are the nine building blocks of protein if you don't have the fat. But people are afraid of fat. And how is the fat? How, how do we intake the well, fat? Well, you see the saturated fat and the unsaturated fat. Mm. So there's two, two types. The saturated fat is the one you're in trouble with. If you eat a lot of saturated fat, that's what clogs the arteries. And that would be what, in what? Biscuits so satu- and the like? Biscuits and pastries and um, um, any takeaways, Mm. anything you buy, buy like that. It's in a lot of things, even like things that you buy that have a lot of ingredients and everything in them. Mm. Unsaturated fat, which is the essential fat the body needs, it's more like one, two ingredient foods, which is everything across the board that's healthy for us. If there's one or two ingredients, we know it's good to go. So essential fat looks like nuts and seeds. The yellow of an egg is a fantastic um, source of essential fat. Extra virgin olive oil to cook with it, coconut oil, seed oils, any seed oils, nut butters, things like that, Um, avocados, fish, salmon, oily fish, fantastic sources of essential um, fat. If anyone's feeling unwell or stressed or depressed and especially our kids your brain doesn't even function right without essential fat and every single meal should have that um, what would you say combination of your carbohydrates your proteins and your fats so if your breakfast in the morning you have porridge fibre and carbohydrates you put your protein maybe like your milk and your calcium etc on it put your nuts or your seeds or something on top of it and then your berries there's a perfect breakfast if you want to go with brown bread protein and carbs put your eggs with it put avocado with it cherry tomatoes turkey rashers there you have your combination again for lunchtime, say, um, anything literally is in fish. You know, if you want to have your potato, your rice, things like that, you're starting to put the profile together then because mm. fish ticks the boxes of protein and fat, you know. So I won't say it's simple stuff, but if we go back to the basics, if people keep that word in their head and you're not buying things that come from over the counter and you're not buying things in boxes, um, then you'll do very well and you'll start mm. feeling better straight away. What's an acceptable amount of bread to have in a day, None. do you think? None. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, the younger generation need bread. It's, it's a staple of the Irish diet right. and in lunch boxes and going to school and matches and all the bits and pieces. I'm wrong there. That's like white bread, sliced bread. If you're going for a really good wholemeal, whole wheat bread and you know what's in it and it's high in fibre, that's perfect. That's absolutely fine. A couple of slices of that a day is absolutely grand at lunchtime or maybe one in the evening or whatever. Yes. McCambridge bread is a really good one. If you make your own, if you make porridge bread, that's fine. But when we get to about 40, our metabolism slows down from about 35 by 5 to 7%, literally every five years there or thereabouts. So you can imagine by the time you're 50, your metabolism has slowed down that much. You have slowed down, as in you're not doing the same exercise or training you've done. Because your diet isn't right and you don't have the essential fat, etc., and the carbs are wrong, you feel tireder. So you slow down automatically yourself by 10 to 15%, if not 20 and your metabolism also slows down. So when you put the two together, the whole lot is slowed down by about 40%. And people wonder all of a shot why there's an extra stone or an extra stone and a half there. So the stone or stone and a half then comes from the fact we've eaten the same foods up to 30 and 35 and the way it stayed off when we were grand. We can't do that from 35 to 40 on. So we have to actually start looking at what's in the food and how to fuel the body. And even looking, Fran, a calorie in and a calorie out. I don't like talking about calories unless somebody needs it. But it is the very basic. And we do teach it to kids 
as in it's a unit of energy. If you don't burn that unit of energy, well, then you're going to gain weight. So it's important to know, say, carbohydrates have about four calories per 100 gram, I think. Mm. And protein is the same and fat has double it. So it's important to try and get that piece right if you can. And for most people, if you're on a healthy enough diet, for most men, say for you, Fran, I would say straight away by looking at you, about 1,600 calories a day would be optimal for you. Mm. When you're sedentary, you're sitting here behind the mic, mm. um, if you're sitting at night or whatever whatever it is you're doing. So about 1,600. And you'd be good to go that you might even lose a half a pound a week doing that, mm. right? Mm. Uh, for most women, you're talking about 1,400. And people say to me, that's too low, that's too low. I had a girl in yesterday and she said she was with somebody that put around 2,000 calories. She was four foot 11, I think. And she had a stone or stone and a half weight to lose. 2,000 calories was mad. She was in a sedentary job, sitting down all day long, um, barely getting her steps in or whatever. So for me, for her to actually lose weight, she needed to be on about 1,250. But you can work that out really well with decent food choices mm. and eat enough that you're full. And uh, that, that's just the point I was going to make to you. You yeah. needn't be hungry, I guess, no. on, like in my case, 1,600. No. Uh, you needn't be If hungry. you make the right food choices, because even at night before you go to bed, a lot of people say to me, I'm starving. Like, that's my time that I get caught from 8 yes. o'clock to 10 o'clock. So if somebody has their dinner at 5 or 6 o'clock in the evening time, right, so by 7, half 7, you're starting because the blood sugars are dropping and mm. all the bits. Like, then, it's like it's something like slice brown bread and put something on it like peanut butter. Mm. You have fibre and you have high fat. And that will say to you, if you give it 10 or 15 minutes, three wheat bicks, six wheat bicks with your milk, you're still only talking about 200, 250 calories. Mm. Porridge, I love it at night. If you make the proper choice that it's high fibre and then you put your dairy and your fat with it, it will say to you that you stay away from the sugar because the sugar is detrimental. The sugar is mm. like alcohol. It's, it's a drug and it's made to stimulate your appetite. That's why all these things like yes. are... Added this, added that, this taken out, this is good for you, this isn't. But they have stuff in it to stimulate the, the nerve endings on our tongues so that we'll actually want more and more of That's it. That's amazing, isn't it? I've yeah. been on a diet for about two months now and I still crave at night. It's the hardest yeah. for me. Uh, harder than dur- any time during the day, at night. Yeah, but you see, you're bored as well. If yeah. it's the, you're probably worse the nights you're at home than the nights you're actually out and you're working. True. Yeah. yeah, because I'm watching TV or I'm reading yeah. or something. Because yeah. you're used to yeah. being active yeah. and you're used to, and it's one of the things, and it's it's now, it's not used to be years ago that I suppose when we came in the evening and we were tired, you didn't look for this hand-to-mouth thing. You see the kids now, where are they going to go when they, with the vapes and all the bits? They're so used to this hand-to-mouth all the time. The physical um, habit. The physical mean, habit, yeah. yeah. And for people, for us, it's not even eaten because like if you eat something at night like a bar of chocolate, it's gone the space of mm. 10 minutes, mm. but then you want something else. Yes, and it's I nearly mean. the habit of if it was a fizzy drink, it's constantly sipping at the fizzy drink. Yeah. Whatever it is. It's like it's, associating it's, a cigarette with a drink, for yeah. instance. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you associate your relaxed time with yeah. having something in your hand that you actually need to do the hand-to-mouth thing. So relaxed time has to become different, that you're not, that you get rid of that habit. Because I keep saying we are habits. And that's what we are in the world today, literally, which is a bit frightening. That's interesting. Do you want to get in on this conversation we had with a professor from uh, a university in England earlier on about feeders? Mm. Uh, those of us who w- w- want to feed all the people up, but we want to make sure that they have food on their plate extra, even if they don't want it. And th- that's to the detriment of, of healthy eating. As it's funny, I came it? in on the end of it, so I didn't hear the very beginning of it. But when you mentioned it this morning, I was hoping that I'd get to hear it because, yeah, it yeah. interests me big time. There's two types of feeders for me. So there's the one that the prof- prof- professor talked about and feeding people, and that's definitely there. But there's also the other one of the person that is like um, loves food themselves 
and they want it themselves so they make sure others have it. So it's somebody in the family say that love is takeaways but they're guilty eating the takeaway themselves mm. so everybody has to have a takeaway. And a lot of kids are fed like that and even say older people in our, in our families or whatever say you fancy McDonald's so you see it, you know it all the time. So the kids are all brought in for McDonald's or yes. an ice cream. That side of feeders probably bothers me more because it's affecting more people. Mm. So somebody won't admit that, yes, I love eating rubbish and all the whatever going, um, but I don't want to eat it on my own. So if I make sure I open the package of biscuits and I'm having two or three and the others are having two or three, well, then I don't feel as guilty having it. Yes. That's the side of the feeder that kind of bothers me, to be honest, Fran. And mm. that's there, I think, in every single um, in everybody's world they'll know of somebody or it could be them themselves maybe it's all of us maybe it's like yeah, yeah. I, I, I was saying to the professor I think it's a particularly an Irish thing that notion that you almost have to feed the world yeah. and be prepared to feed the world yeah. at any time and clear you know? your plate clear your but plate, doesn't it yeah. come from the 1980s when we hadn't a lot of money yeah, absolutely. and there wasn't a lot of food don't be wasting well it's wasting and the other thing was you'll go hungry because if you mm. don't actually eat your dinner you're not going to get anything again until tea time so mm. if you haven't had your dinner you know don't come back into me or whatever and I think it worried mother there's a lot back with that generation, you know, whereas course, now yeah. we follow through. And that brings we? up the other thing, and I wonder what you think about this, this notion that we have to be full to the point that the short is kind of gaping yeah. at the end of a meal. How can we get out of that? We, yeah. we, in fact, we don't think it's been a great meal unless we can hardly wag. No, and that's nonsense. And you know, it's funny because... Um, I was listening to the lads on this morning when I was coming into work early. Uh, do you know, was it half six or something? Andrew and the boys were on there in the yeah, morning and they were yeah. very funny. Um, and they were talking about um, eating out and the dew on the plate and the beautiful food and all the bits. Yes. And I don't know who, which one of them it was. I think it was Andrew. Just that's complete nonsense. Can't bring parents for a meal anymore. Like that's gravy. That's not dew or whatever it was. But I laughed as I was coming in along. But yes. um, food is actually going in that way now that you've two types. As in you've got, say, the fast food that they fill your bag up to the very top with whatever... Um, rubbish and fat food or you go out for a nice meal and you're actually getting two or three things on your plate yes. and you're looking at it and you're thinking oh Jesus like, this is going to fill me can I have chips and can I have spuds and can yeah. have God knows what with it so I think restaurants have the memo and they know what we need to fill us mm. so a three course meal is like you would get in a decent restaurant your starter with maybe whatever piece of bread your main course which is two or three things on a plate mm. and then and it's habits Fran that's what it is it's the comfort side of things that we want big, huge things of food and we want to eat until we're nearly sick and mm. then lie down and go to sleep. If you stop that habit and say to yourself, right, OK, I'll stop and I'll go back again if I want more, you actually realise your body, it takes, what, is it 20 minutes for the signal to go from your stomach to your brain to say, listen, I'm full. Oh. So if you wait for the 20 minutes, you will actually figure out, my youngest fella is really bad to eat. And I'm always saying to him, eat up, Jaden. He starts in the evening time, you know. And he said, ma'am, the 20-minute rule, if I'm still not hungry after 20 minutes, my grand. And I said, yeah, you're grand. You're still not hungry after 20 minutes, go. Um, so <laughs> it's a habit. I love the way your knowledge is used against you. It's always well. home, 24-7, literally, yeah, yeah. She's off again, she's off again, literally, yeah, yeah. But it is the 20-minute rule. Right. We, ha- we have to pull back a bit. And again, it's the whole culture of where we're at at the minute. Everything's speed, everything is done at whatever. You know, I need mm. to eat now because I need to do whatever it is and uh, yeah I have to clear my plate fast and whatever it is but you have to a meal should be especially the weekend if anybody's listening they have kids or they have take the time around the kitchen table that you actually sit down at the kitchen table and nobody's allowed to leave mm. so put the phone down if you can at all I know yes. it's like me preaching and I try but it's put the phone down and course, see can yeah. you get the hour because that actually yeah. gives you the chance to realise what the, you're eating. the tray in front of the 
the It's crazy because you've no idea. You don't know what you're watching telly and it's all mindless. How are things in Marito 2020? How are things going? So we're two weeks in. Yeah. So I said to you, I'm tired this morning and I think I'm tired because we're two weeks in. Yeah. Yesterday, this week, two weeks yesterday we were open, was fantastic. So it was busy, doctor was booked out, I was booked out, nurse was. And it was wonderful just to see the faces of people actually getting what they needed, Fran. Mm. So that to me is fantastic. So the aesthetic side, we have a lot of, um, can I use the word virgin Mm. people coming through that have never had anything done, but they've listened to me talking here. I actually had two that this might actually interest people that are listening. So one, um, teeth grinding has been a massive problem since she was very young. Mm. She actually grinds through um, mouth guards and everything. So she's 50. So she had Botox and we were able to relax the muscles to stop her grinding her teeth or whatever. So that sorted that literally straight away, a problem that she's had for years. And then I had another um, boy in, I call him a boy, it shows my age. He was 25 or six, Mm -hmm. um, but sweating was a massive problem for him. And he was in an office, a smaller office with two or three people, um, wouldn't even take his jacket off during the summer. And was constantly in the bathroom with deodorant and trying to whatever. So again, um, Botox was able to cure that, that you could actually relax the, mus- relax the muscle and that. So it's Un- not... Underarm. Underarm, yeah. Or oh. anywhere, like feet, whatever. So there's so many different things. There was another person in, PRP is something that you can do for hair loss. Yes. So hair loss is a matter. And for men, now women even around the receding hairline, um, again, I had two people that was affecting them massively. The, so the PRP was done, which stimulates the follicle, blood to the follicle, whatever it is. And um, that will definitely, over the next whatever, two or three weeks, they'll see a massive difference and they'll actually see that coming right. back again. So it's, it's a very interesting, because with aesthetics, people think immediately of vanity, if oh, you don't mind my saying so. Thinking the frozen but, face. Yes, but a, a lot yeah. of it is about, you know, just people being happier in themselves. It, a lot of it is people are really upset. Yeah. So like I said, I've had people coming through and I had one girl yesterday that cried and she was on both sides. So she's been through an awful lot in her world and there was issues that were affecting her on the aesthetic side that she just felt she couldn't make friends and she couldn't whatever. And then on the other side, she actually had high blood pressure and different bits and pieces. But the two were related. Her stress and anxiety was through the roof, literally, Fran. She was right. scratching her hand. She had her hand literally scratched away, the palm of her hand. Because she was so unhappy. Because of it? the stress oh and the anxiety. Her arms, she said to me, it has to be diet related, Muriel. It has to be like, it's literally, look at me. But both sides came together for her. Um, so we'll work with her now over the next while or whatever. But that's what it's about. It's not about jabbing things into people to give them blown up look, mm. lips that they look like they've two car mm. tires, whatever. It's about making somebody feel better. And if you can't do anything for them, but just sit and talk to them, then, yeah, we're still right. doing a decent job. If people want to talk to you, uh, Muriel, how, how can they yes, do Yes, so that? they can call 083 095 All right, very good. And uh, Emma will have that if anybody missed it there. Great to talk to you. And thanks, thanks Muriel. Thank you. Bye bye to you now, Muriel. Uh, Cuddy there of Marito. Uh, 8020 in Clonmel. We'll take a break. We're back with more. It's just coming up on 25 past 11. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry in association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the pre- Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry in association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie All right, then it's time to look at the house and interior design and all of that. I'm glad to be joined by Karen Prendergast. And Karen, of course, is Managing Director at Interiors Concepts. Karen, good morning to you. Good morning, Frank. Lovely to see you this morning as well. Um, 
aspects of the house that might be worth spending a few bob on. That's that's what you're going to talk yeah, to us uh, today I think about. Everybody's thinking money wise at the moment, and you know most of us want to do a few little bits to the house and not sure where to start and I know I go through this a lot every time I kind of you're, you're still talking somewhat of the same things over and over again but like splash or splurge mm. and where can we save on interior design that doesn't mean you have to get an interior design but if you are doing up a room or doing up whatever what's a good way to spend your money and not such a good way to spend your money mm. so are we splashing or are we splurging right, because you can waste money I guess Karen can you there's, there's, you know, some people love to change their smaller bits all the time. So they might change their cushions and their throws and their ornaments and a few things a few times a year. Yes. And there isn't any really need for that. If I think if you buy the right things in the beginning and you love them, and love them is more important than how much they are. Right. Okay. Um, if I bought something and it was a fiver or a tenner and I had it in my sitting room and I loved it, you know, yeah. I told you about the elephants before that I have for 35 years and I love them and I don't want to get rid of them and there's right. a place there for them and I moved them around the odd time but I love them. So it's not always about spending an awful, awful lot but it's spending on things that are going to do you long term in the house. Mm. Mm. So I'd be saying if you're doing a remodeling job and I've spoken in depth one day about uh, remodeling your kitchen. So if you're remodeling your bathroom or your kitchen mm. or if you're doing built-in wardrobes it's better to spend the money on those kind of things. So, I mean, remodeling your kitchen, I'm on a job at the minute and we're going to be hand-painting a kitchen. Okay. Now, the kitchen, it's quite a big kitchen. It's there with a while. It's too good to throw out. doesn't need to be thrown out. Mm. doesn't need to be taken out. But we're going to um, completely change that up. Mm. So it'll take, you know, a, a washing down and four coats, a proper painting, and change the handles and we'll have a new kitchen. Now, that kitchen... If we were to change it, it would cost probably 22000 because it's quite a big kitchen. So if we're talking kitchen, worktop, tiles, mm. you mm. know, uh, new appliances and the whole lot. Now, the appliances are absolutely perfect. Mm. We'd be talking about 22000 So we can money, turn that kitchen around for about two and a half. Well, which is terrific. Is that like painting oak or something? Yeah, it's a solid kitchen. Solid, yeah. And, um, you know, the process is that we're going to wash it. I won't be washing down, but the painter will be washing it down completely and properly, putting on a proper primer and three coats on top of that. So we're talking four coats, washed down properly, new handles for about two and a half. Hmm. And that will look amazing. Absolutely amazing because a lot of the kitchens are coming out and they are hand painted and whatever. So we have a solid timber to start with. The timber is very good. Mm. Everything is like spanking new. So it doesn't make sense to spend 22,500 when we can spend two and a half. Right. Will you update appliances as well with the kitchen? They don't need really to be updated, to be honest. They don't need to be. And some of them, if we were changing the kitchen, we would have reused them anyway because they're appliances that haven't been used much. But in some case, maybe somebody might want a different appliance. They might, you know, be doing something that they might change an appliance. But it's never, ever about spending money because people are afraid of interior designers and they think, you know, you see the television programmes and throw out this and throw out this and get rid of this. And and it always goes over budget. It always goes over Mm. budget, friends. So, it is about just using what you have when you're buying, um, it, you know, those staple pieces, spend the money. Mm. I mean, if somebody somebody's spending money and they're recarpeting their bedrooms and they're putting down carpet, you mm. don't have to spend a lot of money on that. Mm. You can buy, you know, they're, they're as cheap as they were 15, 20 years ago, but it's the staple pieces. Mm. So I'd be saying remodeling projects, really important that you get them right. Mm. 
Um, another thing just to touch on with the kitchens, a lot of people ask me, can we paint tiles? Yes, you can 100% paint tiles. I've done a remodelling of a kitchen maybe about three months ago now and we painted, uh, the tiles were yellow behind and we painted them a gorgeous taupey colour. Um, to go with the... Right. We, we didn't oh. paint the kitchen, but we painted the tiles. What the kind of was paint do you use on tiles, Well, Karen? it would be... A, a, the primer would be the 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 main aim. Okay. So the tiles would have to be washed down properly, no more yeah. than the kitchen presses. Mm. And then you'd put a bin primer on it. It would be called a bin primer. Mm-hmm. Leave that dry and put two coats of satin wood over that. So if there's anybody listening that wants to remodel their tiles and the you know the tiles are in good nick, mm. it is no problem. So a wash down a dry down, leave it dry, any grease, because you know with tiles, mm, especially in the kitchen, that can be yeah. grease, um, leave it dry, bin primer, one coat, leave it dry, that drives in about two hours, and two coats of satin wood or eggshell paint on top of that, and you will have spang new tiles. Wow. And grout, and uh, that's a lot. And it looks great. It looks absolutely it? amazing, absolutely fantastic. Mm. I just think the amount of times that we throw out everything, you know, and we... You know, and... I suppose maybe a lot of it is not having the knowledge or not no, not understanding that if you do it properly, it'll it'll work. Mm. And I was sitting in the car and I was just thinking over what we were going to chat about this morning. Now, this is at least 20 years ago, but a friend of mine, she was after buying um, a three-seater and two armchairs. Paid a lot of money for them at the time and they were cream. And of course, after about a year, she was fed up and being cream. Now, they were gorgeous. Mm. Perfect. So she said, she rang me one day and said, I want to, I'm going to try chance dining. I said, she's a lot of money, you know, if it doesn't go right, so what will we do? So anyway, she wanted a forest green. A forest green happens to be really in at the moment with couches now mm. and the whole lot. It's, it's, it's the big colour this season. And she dyed them. She dyed the trees, the tree seater cover first. And then she dyed um, the armchair one separate. And they turned out 100%. She had them for about 12 years. Go on. Yeah. Now, was, they were expensive to start with, but they took the dye, no problem. So that's another thing that you can think about. If you have some trolls or cushions or accessories or a couch and they are covered, it is possible that you can dye those, but you'll be dyeing them to the weight that's on the packet and the whole lot. But they're right. just little tips, friend, right. that can save a lot of money because you could have a piece of furniture or you could have a kitchen or you could have tiles that are really good, Nick, and some f- people get fed up faster than others. Mm. And they like changing things. Of course. But maybe yeah. the money isn't there now, you know, to be changing things as quick as we used to before. Mm, for sure, yeah. And I suppose if people are spending now, are they spending more on, like, insulation and heating and that kind of thing, are they? I suppose they are, if, if that's the job in question. Because I will maybe have done a job 20, 25 years ago and I'm going back and they're saying the kids are finish college now and whatever and come back and they might be looking at ways of saving energy that mm. mightn't just be insulation that could mm. be the doors maybe need to be sealed better or front door might need to be changed and windows might be need to look at and radiators might need to be upgraded mm. and then that'll give us you know it'll give us better energy saving and better heat so that's often stuff that I look at but um, every job is different Frank yeah. every mm. job is different and I suppose what people don't realise as an interior designer, the majority of my work isn't picking colours. It's actually project management. So I'm going okay. in and I'm managing a job or somebody doesn't know, they can't get the tradesman or they don't know how to go about it. So often in a job, my very last thing to do is pick a colour. But people have this perception that an interior designer is going to come in and they're going to pick mad colours and mad course, things yeah. and, you know, knock down walls and all that. It's it's yeah. never, ever really about that. But as you say, that perception comes from the, the, the TV, TV shows. Of course it does, yeah. Totally so remodelling, yeah. make sure you spend your money well. Yes. Another splurge is timeless furniture. So if you're buying furniture, 
make sure that it's furniture, like if it's a bed, that it's comfortable. If it's a couch, it's comfortable. If it's a Queen Anne, if it's kitchen chairs that you're going to be using maybe as an office desk and you're sitting at the kitchen table a lot, make sure that they're comfortable. Because if the, if you buy something, that's, and I'm not talking about spending an awful, awful lot of money, but if you buy something that doesn't suit you in the first place, I'm coming from a person with a bad back and a bad shoulder. So I'd, I'd invest in the piece that suits me. Yes. And that I'll have a little bit of longevity in it then. Right, but I mean basic stuff like sit down in the seat that you're going to buy. <laughs> You'd be surprised at the people who wouldn't. I bought a new mattress you know. lately because I had a mattress and it was very hard that I paid a lot of money for and it was hurting my I was hurting my back is at me and it was hurting my back and I said, Look, I'm going to change the mattress. But mm. we went into the shop and I laid down a few times, I laid down in three different mattresses because I spoke to the salesperson, he said, These are the mattresses that will probably suit you and I, I suppose I went to the, each of the three three times before I made a decision on the mattress mm. and laid down on it. And if I'm going in with a client and we're buying mattresses or we're buying couches or we're buying dining table and chairs or whatever, like I make them sit down and sit down again and sit down again like a broken record to make sure that they're buying what's comfortable. Good good point indeed. What, what else is there, Karen? So we have a splurge. Don't splurge on wall art or accessories. Were you listening into my house last night? No. <laughs> We're just talking about this. Actually, so yeah. just you know, if you if you like it, if you like a picture and you love it, buy it. If you have photos that you want to buy frames and you want to match, you know, match all your frames and you want to do a family collage or you want to do a collage of pictures that you love, no problem. But just don't spend a fortune on them without planning them first. What What do you mean by that now? Planning the position they're going to go in, planning um, the types of frames that you want, so that you're not landed with a load of gold ones, a load of silver ones some black ones, you've got all the, and you don't know where to put them. Now there's nothing wrong because you know you get presents of picture mm. frames and mm. you get you, you gather them along the years but I'm talking about if you're doing up a room and if you're spending and you're planning, yes, you don't need to spend an awful lot of money on those things. Right, but there should be a theme to it, is, I is think that so. it? Yeah. I think so yeah. because a lot of people I'll go into their house and they're doing a repainting job or remodeling job and they're saying I've all these pictures and I don't know where to go. So we'll make different areas maybe a place in the sitting room, maybe a place in the hallway we'll do a collage and a collection of those and that'll work for them mm. and maybe change some frames up if we need to just to have it looking good. Yeah, It's, it's one of the things that always bothers me. I never know not that I do very much around the house anyway, but I'd never know where to put pictures, if you know what I mean. I suppose it depends on the room. It depends if it's a hallway. It depends on the furniture. Um, if you've got lamps in the room, you know, so you'll, you'll be always, you'll be making a story. It's right. a story. So whether it's a hallway, whether it's a sitting room, whether it's a kitchen, you'll be making a story around the picture or right. pictures. So rather than have them all over the place, you, you pick an area. Pick an area. It? But even if it was only one picture, friend, for instance, I have one picture, I have two two, three radiator covers in my kitchen but over one radiator cover and I have the radiator covers because they make they, they're the start of a story so instead of having a radiator that's no mm. cover on it mm. I have the radiator cover and then I'm able to put a plant on that or a couple yeah. of pictures on that Is that, that like a timber then, cover? Yeah, or yeah, yeah, yeah and they're widely available and now they've gone more expensive than mm. they were before and I'll put a picture over that so if you can imagine I have a plant in the middle I have two nice pictures of one, of, one each of my nieces and over that I've actually got um, a big picture of a boat right. and the reason I put that there is I love it so I'm mm. in the kitchen most of the time other than work so I can see it all the time Right 
Okay. So if you have things that you love, keep them near you, that you can see them. If you have pictures that you love, put them someplace that you can see them and enjoy them, not in a good sitting room that you're never going to get to look at them. Right. Very good point. But do you talk about symmetry then? Is that what you mean? Absolutely. When you say, yeah, yeah, OK. So right. it's about symmetry, but it's also about a story. So if you don't, if you don't have textures and pictures and colours and rugs and lamps and throws. Now, I'm not talking about having all those in every room, but everything becomes very bland. Mm. So you have to add colour, texture, pictures, lighting. What kind of lighting do you need? Do you need lamps? Do you need a lot of lighting, ceiling lighting? Do you need mood lighting? What do you need? So it's it's interior design is about all of that. It's never, ever about one thing. But there is a lot of things that you don't need to spend money on, i.e., wall art i.e. lamps there's lamps you can buy a lamp for a tenner mm, you can yeah. buy a, a, a ceiling a, a lamp shade a ceiling shade for eight ten euros they go up to any price hundreds and thousands but you can change up a room very cheaply but it's the staples that you should be spending your money on right okay you, you, seemingly one of our listeners saying you spoke to us about an upholsterer in the past that's right and c- c- can you mention who that is yeah I, I, well if the person texts me I'll text okay. them on the number All right. but okay. I know the last day I was in front my phone literally blew up <laughs> right okay with, with people looking with people, for advice yeah and, people okay. looking for advice and people looking for the upholster so again you know we're going back to kind of catching up even on the last day maybe today there's people out there and they're thinking well, I'd love to revamp my kitchen. There's no way I'm going to be spending five, ten, eight, ten, twenty thousand. And there is a way around um, bringing your house up to date that doesn't have to cost a fortune, like the repolstering. Mm. Mm. So if that person texts me, I'd gladly send okay. them the number. Very, very, very good indeed. Um, all right. Anything else you want to point out before before we finish up, Karen? No, say? I. I just think I suppose today the main point is that if. You know, if anyone is, and again, it's not here to sell myself because I don't come in here to do that, but interior design just isn't about a colour or isn't it isn't about going mad. So for a lot of people, the tradesmen won't answer the phone. They can't get them. Mm-hmm. They can't pull a job together. They might need an electrician, a plumber, a kitchen, a painter, and they can't get them all. Right. So, I mean, that's the biggest part of my job that I do manage right. jobs. Because if there's two people working, it's very hard to find that the time to chase all of that up as well. And as well as that, friend, if you make the wrong decision, for instance, if somebody goes in and they buy a fireplace, for instance, and a floor and get their house repainted and buy a couch and they're not happy with some aspect of it and for say they've spent five grand on that room, for instance, Mm. plus maybe, and they're not happy, it would be much better pay for a consultation than to have spent that money and not be happy with an aspect Yes, absolutely. I think one of the, I may have said this to you before, but I noticed where we're concerned, one of the big mistakes is misjudging the size of the furniture for the room and not knowing it until it arrives. You know, and if you bring pictures of your room into whatever you're buying, whether it's a bed, a piece of furniture, dining room suite, um, and you get those sizes and you bring them home, and if you have to put papers or bags on the floor and cut them up so as you can see that on your floor in the house, that's really important. But anybody in a shop, if you give them the dimensions and they're selling furniture every day, they will help you. Yeah. They should be able to help you. All right. Karen, if people want to talk to you, yeah, can it's they 086 do so? 606 9009. So that's, uh, give me that one more time. 086 yeah. 606 yeah. 9009. Okay. And, and I'm happy I'm happy to answer questions. There's no problem. All right. Even if it's about upholsters. Even and also. if it's about upholsters, <laughs> no problem. Karen, it's lovely to see you as always. Thanks Thanks Thank very much friend. indeed. That's Karen Prendergast of um, Concepts, uh, Interior Concepts. We'll take a break. Back in a moment. 
Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip today on 1800 938 007. Michelle is a young lady from Carrick and Shore with a speech impediment and uh, was diagnosed with cerebral palsy when she was just a child. She joins me now. Michelle, good morning to you. Michelle Ryan, good morning, Sam. How are you? I'm very well indeed, Michelle, and I'm delighted you could join me today. One of the reasons you're chatting to me, I suppose, is to advise people um, that not to allow disability to hold you back in any way. Absolutely, Sam. It's definitely something I think that needs to have a lot more positivity towards it because I feel in certain cases a lot of people tend to feel sympathy, I suppose, for anybody who comes across as different or not normal, as people like to say. But I just want, I suppose, to shine a bit of a light on the fact that it's perfectly okay to be different and it's those differences that make us who we are and I think we should just embrace them. Were you always as accepting of your disability or your disabilities, Michelle? No, Sam, I definitely was not. It took quite some time for me to accept myself fully as I am and I suppose it was wasn't until I joined the McGuire program that it really allowed me to look at myself and the type of person that I wanted to be. It just really helped me in all areas of my life, Sam. And the Maguire programme, that's making reference to that programme that helps with speech impediment. And that was a life changer for you, Michelle. Yes, um, definitely is. People who also have stammers helping and supporting each other. And that uh, definitely wasn't something that I was used to growing up just because I thought that I was the only person who had this problem with my speech. So joining the programme 
really allowed me to be part of a community of people who had been going through or gone through very similar speaking situations to myself, Sam. You're still a very young woman, Michelle, but what about growing up? What about your teen years when a young girl will be out socialising or, or, or whatever. Um, how were you around those times? To be perfectly honest, it was probably one of the most challenging times of my life just because I constantly relied on friends or family to do a lot of my speaking for me, Sam. So I felt as if I couldn't really be the person that I always knew I was deep down, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense uh, indeed. Did you ever imagine in those difficult times, Michelle, that here you are on the radio now speaking to tens of thousands of people and uh, everybody getting inspiration from your life? Not in a million years, Sam, and it why I suppose I really wanted to come on and just raise awareness that if anybody else is going through a similar situation, don't be afraid to ask for help. It's always available and I think it's important to really accept ourselves as we are and don't let anything hold us back from achieving whatever it is that we want to achieve in life, Sam. And you're continuing to achieve because you're working, but you're also studying as well at the moment, Michelle. Yes, I'm studying to finish my level six childcare, so I'm really excited about that as well. I hated college. So the fact that I went back was definitely a positive for me and I think it's really helped a lot with my confidence also, Sam. Tell people how they should um, interact with you, Michelle, because... I wonder, do do people still try and fill in your sentences for you? And if so, is that extremely frustrating instead of allowing you to finish a point? 
No. No, Sam, it doesn't really bother me at all, but previously before joining the programme, that would have really been a big... issue, but I suppose now since I've gotten a lot more understanding regarding people will respond to me how I respond to myself. So I always try and approach people in a really positive way and I feel as though that just automatically puts them at ease too, Sam. Um, you're certainly putting me at ease, uh, Michelle, to chat to you, and I'm delighted that you're doing that, and thank you for that as well. It, can I finally ask you, Michelle, to people out there who might have a disability that is holding them back, keeping them maybe in their homes, maybe that they're not able to make friends and the like, what, what is your advice to them right now, Michelle? You something that brings you joy. Get out and take in some fresh air. Talk to a close family member. Just don't keep yourself Isolated because it really doesn't help, and you will actually be very surprised at how understanding and friendly people really are. So just get out and be as open and honest with everyone that you meet because I found that what really helped me in my own personal journey. Well, Michelle, I was privileged to talk to you today and I'm delighted you could join us and you've done so much for people out there who are struggling by by chatting to me today. You look after yourself, Michelle, and my best to your family and my best to you for the future as well. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you so much, Sam, and have a lovely day. Take care. You too, Dote. You too. Bye-bye, Janelle. There's a... Real inspiration for you. I'm sure you'll uh, agree. My best to Michelle. That's it for me for uh, today. Emma produced and uh, Ali looks after her content. Stephen is on the way with the Time Tunnel. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Look after yourselves, won't you? Bye-bye. 
Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.